0: Welcome, everyone. Uh, Welcome, everyone, to I think we're still working on a name. We recently uh, we recently had a discussion of the name, but welcome to what is still currently referred to as the Casa advocacy update live stream podcast Internet thing. We're going to shorten that down, though, I promise. But welcome. Welcome back, everyone. We'll do some quick, hey, how are yous? Uh, I'd like to hear how everyone's 4th of July went. I hope everybody uh, in chat, if you're here in the States and you celebrate the 4th of July, how it was for you. So, Kristen, hey, how are
1: you? Oh, sure. I'm wiping my nose and getting you. Oh, asking. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how are you? I don't know. Do you want to okay. put
0: you in the queue? I, mean, the
1: I had a really. I was gone for a few days, as you may have noticed. Folks may have seen that the CASAC account was a little quiet for uh For a few days, Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. My my husband's family have a place out by the Wolf River in uh, Hollister, Wisconsin, and um, it's an old uh, railroad track lodge. So it has like seven bedrooms or something like that, and it's
0: oh wow really super.
1: And the railroad tracks aren't even there anymore. It's now like a, a snowmobile and biking and walking trail instead and uh yeah they have about an acre and years ago we used to all get out there they would be up to like 60 70 people all the the grandkids and everything and we just have he hasn't done it in uh, several years and he decided to do it again this year um I should say they my in-laws and so we had a good I posted some pictures on, on my Facebook. We had, we had a good, I would say 50 people there. I would say there was uh, two big RVs and seven tents. We all kind of camped out in his acre yard. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Horseshoes tubing down the river, um, uh, sitting around the fire singing, drinking way too much, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a good time. It's a good time. And we lost uh, Logan. Where did he go?
2: Yeah, there he ran is. off.
1: <laughs> did okay, I bore you there? Right, my my,
0: my kid's alarm clock just started blasting Guns N' Roses. <laughs> now it's like, no, we can't have oh, no. that. <laughs> I don't know if anybody heard it or not, but anyways.
1: Yeah, But anyway, Sorry. it was yeah, it was a good time. My my family's really cool because it's sort of a little microcosm of the American melting pot. We have just about every ethnicity and background, you know, German, Polish, Irish, Scottish, English, Welsh, African-American, Puerto Rican, uh, Greek, Italian. Um, I'm trying to think what else you had. And then my nephew, he came it's up. from like first
0: America. The
1: it really is. And uh, he Beautiful. came up from uh, his, he came up this year too for the first time with, for the big thing. And uh, his fiance is Venezuelan. so we ended up with a South American uh, <laughs> a South American family. Ties in there too. I think the only thing we're missing is someone from Asia. <laughs> we just need that. and We'll have pretty much everything covered. It's <laughs> great. Well, it's really great. They're just a bunch of really great, great people. Really great people.
0: I'm glad that you had a. I'm glad that you had a good week, a good last week, and a good weekend, Alex. Yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that was we, a long we, pause. <laughs> oh, that's fine.
2: Uh, we went to a parade. That's the first like holiday parade I think I've been to. Probably since I was a kid. Um, yeah, but, same. Uh, I haven't yeah, been to a Plat- Plattsburgh, Plattsburgh has their annual Fourth of July parade, so you know, fire trucks and um, locally made floats and stuff. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then we, you know, stayed around with our dog to make sure that he was cool with fireworks. Um, so that was a lot of sort of consoling. How and- How do you do? Um, I think he was good. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like you. It's you know, everybody around you is sort of setting off their, you know, having their own amateur fireworks displays, and that yep. that sort of uh, you know, when things when noises aren't predictable, that that's what sort of startles him. So, uh, but he was good. Uh, you know, we sort of coax pet, we pet him to sleep on the couch, and everything was fine. So, right on. Well, then, yeah, um, it was a good weekend. Yeah, we didn't. We My didn't husband do much and
1: here. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, no, your I'm husband. About, make- what did? What did he buy?
1: No, I just, my husband bought several hundred dollars worth of uh, real fireworks to put off because we're out in the middle of nowhere, so we could actually do real fireworks. And we had all three dogs with us, and so what we ended up doing is we started my car, put the air conditioner on, and cranked the music up, and put them in the car because we're staying in a tent. What would you do, right? You can't put them in the tent. That's not going to help anything. But that's they. Seemed fine with that. And they're like just chilling in the nice air conditioning. <laughs> they seemed okay. So sorry. How was your uh, fourth weekend, Logan?
0: Well, I'm I'm Did glad everybody's again? dogs were good. My cats just hid under the bed. <laughs> they were like, nope, we're not dealing with any of what's happening outside, and they just they just hid. Um, but our fourth was was I don't know pretty boring here. Other than uh, like Alex said, we were talking before the show. All of my neighbors, like five different houses right around me. All were like, yeah, we're absolutely setting off fireworks this year. And so we just sat out back, had a fire, and watched everybody else's fireworks. Uh, Monday, the day after, had a big cookout, had a bunch of people over here, fed a bunch of people, and it was a good day. And uh, Lots of whiskey smashes. I don't know if there's any whiskey fans out there, uh, but... Nick Green's wife, Casey, Casey Pickle, Casey Green. I'm sure a lot of people here know who Casey is, uh, but she does a bunch of cocktails. She has like a site and stuff. So I messaged her and I was like, what's a good like summery whiskey drink, whiskey smash. And that's what I drank all weekend. It was fantastic. <sighs> but anyways, that was my weekend for the fourth. <laughs> what do you guys say? Are we uh, are we ready to get into some legislation? Yeah. All right, we don't have a fancy bumper yet. We're still working on it, but uh, there we go. Legislative rundown. The floor is yours, Alex. What do we got going on this week?
2: So um, we will start off in uh, nothing nothing new except for the second thing here. Um, we'll start off in Arizona, where we were last week, I believe. Um, the what I've been calling the sensible licensing uh, bill or sensible licensing regulations, HB 2682 is still in need of support. Um, So if you live in Arizona, please take this opportunity to contact your lawmakers. I sent out an email to a couple specific districts. um, And I don't remember names off the top of my head here, but um, there are definitely uh, a few people that are sort of on the fence about this bill and could use some more contact from people who, who, uh, support, uh, sort of uniform regulations across the state and, and, um, making it so that, uh, you know, anti-tobacco activists can't create this patchwork of confusing laws and, um, you know, make it difficult for people to access safer alternatives to smoking. Um, so, uh, this is a, a decent bill barring, uh, Arizona's existing, um, penalties for youth possession and use. Um, but uh, you know baby steps so uh, if you're in Arizona please take a moment visit our our call to action and uh, send your email customize your email let them know your story and why saving access to vapor products is important to you Um, and just remember you know what's at stake here I mean this isn't just um, this isn't just a, a regulation bill this is this is about making sure that that flavors are allowed to be sold uh, as widely as possible in the, in the state of Arizona, um, so certainly worth supporting. And I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm saying this now because I, I haven't really uh, sought out an update as of you know prior to uh, the holiday. Um, but going into the holiday, and I think maybe it was earlier this week, um, I, I got word that there were there were there there were some people who were on the fence that really needed some 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 extra contact. So. Um, So that's Arizona. Uh, The other thing that we put up this week, I believe, uh, or was it last week? It was last week. Uh, Going, yeah, it was. It was last week. Everything's blending together. But we we updated it. Right, we skipped a week, so it's like it's like all of 2020. How it kind of happened, but it didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So uh, Utah, if you are in Utah, what's happening there is. Um, this is the result of a bill that was passed, I think, 2018 or 2019, it might have even been sooner. This is something that I, I, I apologize, I sort of lost track of. Um, but uh, as per the legislation, the Utah Department of Health uh, is required to uh, basically promulgate regulations regarding nicotine limits, um, I think some other packaging stuff. Um, some pretty standard stuff, but it's the nicotine limits that are, are sort of at issue here. Um, and I heard that there's, there may be sort of some shenanigans going on. Uh, if anybody follows Greg Conley on Twitter, uh, he reached out to a lawmaker there in, in Utah who this, this lawmaker had been under the impression that they had, you know, through the course of conversations and negotiations kind of landed on a 5% nicotine cap or, or, or 59 milligrams per milliliter. Still not something we're supportive of. Um, But now the local, the the State Department of Health is is coming back with this an amendment to their regulations, uh, and they are proposing a cap on closed system products at 36 milligrams per milliliter. Um, I took some time to kind of you know get into why CASA feels this is not appropriate. Um, so I'm not going to read this chapter and verse to people here, uh, but would encourage, uh, you know, this will be part of a, a larger, kind of more formal position statement from Kassah about nicotine caps um, in the future. Um, but, you know, providing a lot of information here for people, there's, you know, talking points that you can, you can use to sort of develop your comments if you'd like. Um, I probably should have noted from the top, Uh, The uh, Utah Department of Health is accepting comments until July 15th, Uh, so that is next Thursday, I believe, Um, and uh, there was a hearing uh, this week on the 7th, Um, I did not attend, it it sounded, it it didn't sound great from what I had sort of heard from other people, Um, but uh, yeah, so comments on the proposed rule. Another kind of update that, that again, this is a regulation. This whole process is something that I lost track of. So I apologize for not having the best details here. But I did get a note from somebody in Utah. And prior to this amendment, apparently the the limit is 24 milligrams per milliliter. Uh, I don't want to put that out there as like, I totally know that that's true. But um, that was a note that I got. So from the, uh, I guess the, the, E-liquid bottle open system side of the industry. This is a, a step in the right direction for those products uh, that there will be, there will no longer be a cap on E-liquid that you buy in bottles. Um, and, and, you know, it's, if, if shops are selling 36 milligrams in bottles, uh, that's, that's great. Uh, it's great for people who adopt open system products. Um, but for the folks who are smoking a pack or two a day, and their only exposure to vapor products is in convenience stores or even, you know, looking for a small compact device that they find in a vape shop, um, 36 milligrams isn't necessarily going to be the best thing for them. Uh, and, and so people who used to smoke a lot like me um, would, would really benefit from having a, a 59 milligram pre pod type system. Um, and uh, Utah is is sort of pointing, like everybody else, is sort of pointing the finger at one particular manufacturer who has high nicotine content in their closed system products. Um, worth noting, they're not the only manufacturer that does that. And certainly open system products have been sold with very high concentrations of nicotine salts um, even after August 8th of 2019. So everybody's kind of got a little bit of dirt on their hands here. And I, I don't think anybody gets to claim the high ground. Of course, there's no... There's no need in 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 pointing out high ground or low ground here because we know that uh having the range of 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 nicotine concentrations is ultimately beneficial for people who smoke to to discover that these products can replace their cigarettes and and move them away from from combustion so um cassaw's position is and always has been we want this variety of products on the market so that more people have more opportunities To find more alternatives that are going to work better for them Um, and so uh, again if you are in utah get your get your comment fingers warmed up and and type yourself a comment and send it off to the utah department of health all of that information on submitting your comments and talking points and and all the all of the things are available on our call to action um yeah that's that 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 ends the uh legislative it's a it's a short Short and sweet legislative rundown this week. Uh, I, I am I, I'm hesitant to, to sort of describe July and August as sort of the, the doldrums of summer, but um, you know I cross my fingers every year that, that that we'll get a bit of a breather before things start picking back up in the fall. So right on. Uh, well done to you during all that. Arizona and
0: Utah, Arizona and Utah. Definitely get those comments in, guys. Arizona and Utah, if you're out there, we make it pretty easy here to get those done. And Alex has a whole bunch of information that he's got in there for everybody. So, yeah, that was that was a really fast legislative rundown. Yeah. I, I was like waiting yeah, for a little bit more. I was like, at
1: least there's yeah. nothing else. I was afraid he'd be like, oh yeah, and I'm. And by the way, like Maine <laughs> and stuff. Like that. But those are all still going, kind of ongoing. Yeah, if you want man. to know what's going on in your state, if we didn't mention anything today, go to the website. I'm to the show them, Alex. Map. Yeah. Go to the clicky map. Pull up your site. Just go to our – show them where it's under, how to get there.
2: Oh, it's under get involved.
1: Under get Stay involved. State local. Click on your state. Why don't you pick a state for them?
2: I'll just go to sad New York. <laughs> oh, man.
1: And there you can yeah. see, as you, you know there would be call to actions there if there were call to actions. And there's all your different, your laws and your taxes. I'm in the process of updating that right now.
2: I so did. By the way, since, since, since we are on this particular section, um, I, I, think I, passed, I think I passed this along to you, Kristen, at one point. But um, we did have someone reach out to us uh, asking for more details on us on certain policies, uh, and this was a, I, I don't know if if this was a, a law student or someone working for a law firm or maybe somebody doing compliance work, um, but uh, they were, um, out of all the resources that they had looked for, they they saw that, that CASAS was one of the most comprehensive in terms of figuring out state and local laws and so on. So um, a tremendous resource that you have put together here, Kristen, and so thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Kristen.
0: Thank you, thank you.
1: Yeah, and and uh, on, on that note, what, as if we're giving kudos to the website too, we just got uh, the American uh, Council on Science and Health, just did an article on vaping. Oops. And they actually linked in the article when they talked about uh, consumer testimonials, they actually linked to the Cassatt testimonial page. So we're becoming a good resource for that too. We hope more media uses us for that sort of thing. So that, that was pretty awesome because I just, I was reading the article and all of a sudden I saw testimonials was hyperlinked and I was like, I wonder where that goes to And I clicked it and I'm like, yes. <laughs> so that was, that was great. You know, spending that time putting together these resources and the more we, more people we have, get your, uh, get your story on there if you haven't gotten it on there yet.
0: Yeah, mine's buried in there somewhere.
1: It's I'll buried it in the, there somewhere. In the banner down there, right yeah. there,
0: yeah, it's, um, it's somewhere down the in
1: there.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you haven't yet submitted your testimony, please do. We have like thirteen thousand, and we need millions. So get them in. Share your story. Like it's it, that's. I know this. I, I I know people are gonna like I don't know, fling mud at me for this one, but there's an old saying, right? Like the the plural of anecdote is data. Like at the bare minimum there has to be something here and when you have tens of thousands if not saying hey i know alex doesn't like that's why i was like i know i'm gonna get some mud i'm not gonna 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 throw
2: mud or shade or anything like that i just will I, i think it's worth kind of tempering that a little bit and saying you know look like when somebody's looking for data yeah are like specific actual circumstances data. under which yes. that data is collected which makes it valid for whichever purpose that's kind of like my general
1: they non <laughs> take grain of salt it's,
2: it's, though
0: to me it's just kind of like there has to be something here like this is worth yeah. well, investigating I, there is something here if there are this many people you know anecdotally claiming something and like and it's that, not it's not something that you you would just like oh that's you know that's that's and, nothing like it's worth looking at
2: and to your point, to your point, I, you know, there was we, we've talked about like is there any research potential with all of this and so on. And I think just casually, I know that, um, you know, there internally we've done some searches for specific keywords, key phrases, and, and and stuff like that. And one of the most I, to me, I, the, the heartwarming thing, or I think one of the most significant things about this collection, or or perhaps any collection of testimonials from uh, people who vape, people who switch to 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 smoke-free products, is a recurring theme throughout these testimonials. Is that people are getting engaged in this issue because they want to make sure other people have the same opportunity they had. They get involved because they want to help. And and to me, I mean, I I don't know that you can put any kind of scientific weight on that, but it's it's a truth. It, it's 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 real. And and I think. Um, that's that's kind of one of the things that you can tease out in something like this is, is what are people voluntarily talking about when they give their testimonials so so yes to some extent i think this it, this does have value maybe it maybe just a little bit but it it's, it is value from a research perspective and and those are just those are just one of those things and to to put an even finer point on it um, Things like that are, are absolutely counter to the narrative that is being pushed by folks who want to see this industry gone. Um, and so that's that's another reason why continuing to collect these testimonials is very important and, and why 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 everybody's stories matter. Absolutely.
1: Well, not only that, I mean, what essentially, I mean, they use things like the FDA reporting thing, you know, where they report a bunch of this happened to me, this happened to me. I mean, they use that for, comment saying, period for products
0: and things. They, yeah. No,
1: no. The, um, the adverse, adverse event, event reporting. reporting
0: oh, right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and all of a sudden it's like, well, that's that seems to indicate something. You know, there people might be having seizures from vaping 10 years ago when they had their seizure, but they just started vaping. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, they, you see that. So they use that. That is that's what I mean by that. It's, it's data. It's, it's data as in being, meaning it's, it's, um, maybe it's a, we need a better word than data, but I mean, it, it's.
0: Yeah. To Alex's point, it's not, it's not evidence. Study
1: evidence. Data.
0: Like it's not a controlled thing. It's just people's right. words on a page. It's not, it's right. not even as controlled right. as necessarily like a well-written survey to the extent, you know what but I mean? That there things- are at least all Certain stories things after, are no but, different
1: than what they use, They like to use the FDA adverse events report for. Those are all just a bunch of stories, but they're used. Well, you know what I mean?
2: There, there is some a, a difference.
1: Yeah.
2: There, there is a difference in some of the items that end up on the the adverse events <laughs> reporting yeah. tool. Yeah. In that they are coming, they are being accompanied by you know a doctor, or it's a doctor that is making the report. Um, so there's a case study that goes along with that. There's it's something that's so verifiable. Hard. Not for not all, not all of them, no. not yeah, for all of them mean, no. but just to just to, to sort of highlight or you know offer that up as, as a difference. Um, you know, we we are sort of taking it on faith that people are being honest when they're talking about their experience with switching or whatever medical issues that they experienced beforehand. I I don't doubt that the you know everybody that submitted. I know, mean, we get a few kind of weirdos every now and then, but for the uh-huh. most, for, by and large, every single testimonial on here is someone telling their truth. Um, mm-hmm. And So that's you know. but I mean,
1: I remember going through some when the when they first opened up that adverse event thing um, for to vaping, going through and reading some of the stories. People, I mean. Some of them were so weird. You know, I had a puff off of vape and my toes turned purple. I mean, they were just like some of them. were. You're like, how did you even, where are you? You know, it's.
0: There are things. You know, those, uh, were
1: not gone, those had not gone through a doctor. You
0: know, I guess things isn't the right word here. There are there are. Human beings that exist on the Internet and we refer to them as trolls and they exist <laughs> everywhere, including <laughs> including in the adverse. Uh, oh, events. we
1: did that. Remember, I don't know. Oh god, that was years ago. I wanna say was that twenty ten or twenty eleven? I don't know. A bunch of people went, I didn't do it myself, but a bunch of people went on there and and reported their adverse effects were my lungs cleared up, my they were like all the positive things, you know, it was they just like no, right, I'm not the, uh, don't go do that. Do not go do that yeah. not go can- do
2: that because i i i i and just again to make make that a little bit stronger the adverse events reporting tool is a legitimate like that is that is that is for fda to actually assess issues and and take action if needed um and so it's it, i had a conversation with somebody who used to work at fda and i had pitched the idea that maybe you know we should use that adverse events reporting tool to Um, talk about things like the negative impact of anti-vaping campaigns that are misleading millions of adults. Um, But his response was like, no, like, you're really just going to irritate people at FDA and hijack a legitimate reporting tool that people can can use to report legitimate injuries. Uh, And so that's, I, 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 I never went any further than that. Um, and, and so I, yeah, again, I, like you said, I, I wouldn't encourage people to, to. Abuse oh, no. That.
1: And somebody, and people pointed out too, that the, the anti-vaping people will just point out that there were this number of reports. Right. So now you just added to their number on the adverse report. So don't right. go in there and put a positive thing. Cause that's the answer just going to say, oh, look at, there's yet another adverse report. Just like they did with, like with poison, you know, the poison centers, they like to say, oh, there's all these calls you know, all these poisonings, you know, because of these calls to the poison center, but a call, it could just be, you know, my kid touched a bottle. Is that bad? I mean, that's a call, but they like to count that as, Ooh, all these poison center calls and just, it just imply that it was an actual poisoning. So yeah, don't go putting your stuff on the adverse. I'm just saying that that's what they, that's a troll is what I was talking about because of Logan, but he did not help. (laughs)
0: No. Anyways. All right. Let's get off the testimony thing uh, and let's get into uh, what do you guys, are you guys ready to do yeah. some take three? Are you guys ready for a take three? All right. Let's do, let's, let's do the take threes. All right. Who's up first this week and what do we got going on?
1: Well, we, we, I'm going to go first because we had kind of a nice segue with the Utah, the nicotine thing, but then we kind of veered off and had to I
0: tried see. to reel us back. I which is my
1: it. own, me, which is my own fault. I'm spitting at the screen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is my own fault. But um, my take this week, I want oh, I need to put the how do you do this? I think I shared my screen. No,
2: that's that's my screen. Da,
1: da, 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 da. Hold on. Every week. <laughs>
2: It's a, this is a
0: sneak peek at what Alex is going to talk about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's actually at the end. That's it. That's a.
1: I always forget. See, I was afraid to do that earlier because I wasn't sure if it would just pop up in the middle of whatever it was we were doing. Um, I'm going to talk. I wanted to talk some more, and Alex kind of talked about it too about the nicotine caps because I got into a really interesting conversation with. Um, somebody on twitter about that because and i don't think this is what am i looking for i am looking for because clive actually do i have the right screen up can you see clive's tweet yeah yes okay i get so confused between which window i'm on um but uh he was talking about in the uk how uh they do have a nicotine cap of 20 milligrams per milliliter. I believe it started in 2016. Um, And a few people from the U S started piping it up about, you know, how they shouldn't have that. And um, I've had this argument lots, lots of times Um, and I'm trying to see if I can find, but he was talking about, uh, This is, this is what they're saying. That um, let me see if I can find it here. No, I can't find it. Oh, that figures. Well, essentially, that there's no basis for the limit, you know. And somebody piped in, and I'm I'm not trying to pick on him. I just wanted to, um, because he makes some good point, and a lot of people feel the same way. Um, But he was saying, let me scroll back up here, and he said, um, the thing is, the uh, 50 milligram Joule is what kids like for the buzz, so they can get no cap at all. I'm afraid would get more kids in the UK vaping. That would not be good for us. Long-term vapors. you are quite happy with the cap, um, where it is, though I agree it could be a little higher. And... The problem I have with this is that it's just in this this attitude of, it works for me. And one of the points that I made with that was, okay, well, what if somebody who is perfectly happy with tobacco-flavored e-liquids said, well, tobacco flavor worked for me, so I'm okay with banning all the other flavors. I mean, there'd be an uproar because <laughs> everybody loves their flavors. So... It's that same logic. You can't, you can't sit there and argue that yours is okay. Just get a, get rid of everybody else's. And that was one of the points that I made when I was, um, see if I can pull it back up here. Uh, but I just said, you know, how would they feel about that? Um, and, uh, go back to here again. And, you know, he, he was trying to make arguments that, uh, Okay, not knocking Juul as a device, just saying they only started screaming kids vaping in the U.S. when the high Nick salts and Juul appeared in the market. And that's not true. I mean, like I, like I say right here, I've been doing this since 2009. When Blue was out and Stephen Dorff was the, uh, yeah. the influencer, you know, they were like, oh, you know, they're, they have these influencers who kids like and and, you know, they're doing all these cotton candy, all this kind of stuff. They were already on that road before Juul hit the market. So this whole argument that, you know, it's all Juul's fault. Did Jewel screw up again? A lot. Yes. But this whole argument that, that this, none of this would be happening without Jewel and its flavors or Jewel and it's high nicotine is baloney. It's just, it, you're just, you don't know, you don't understand the history. Cause I've lived through it. Some of us have lived through it. We were there when people in Congress and in New York and in Florida, uh, was Deborah Wassinger, whatever her name was, her like,
2: Wasserman, w- yeah, w- Debbie Debbie Wasserman
1: She's in Florida, in New York, Florida. Florida. So she's the Florida one. You know, she was screaming bloody murder about all this stuff. You know, so I mean, this and this was in 2010, 2011, five, four or five years before Jewel even hit the market. Um, And then he shared this article. And Robert, again, I'm not picking on you. It's just that you have a very. This is a very common sort of idea of how things happen, especially folks across cross pond because they weren't here through all this too. And they only really know what happened with them. And, um, uh, talking about how Juul hooked kids, they ignited a public health crisis. And, you know, I just said, this is just a typical article. I mean, they're talking about how Juul dominates the market. Well, yeah, C stores, you know, completely ignores the open system vaping, uh, stuff. And, uh, you can't deny it was Jewel who introduced nicotine salts to vaping. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it just, it just doesn't it, – it has nothing to do with anything because we all do our own level. And this whole idea that kids are vaping for a buzz just seems to ignore the fact that there's a lot of better – a lot of things out there you can get a buzz from that work a lot better and give a lot better buzz. Nicotine – doesn't give that good of a buzz. You get a little ooh, you know, and you're probably going to get a little nauseous on top of it. So it's not really a fun buzz to get a nicotine buzz. And um, and it's like the same thing with the argument about flavors. You know, oh, kids vape for the flavors. Really? Really? They vape because it tastes like Skittles? Why not just buy Skittles? It's a heck of a lot cheaper and a lot easier to get, and you can get them anywhere. I mean, it's just this whole idea they vape for the flavors. All the surveys showed curiosity. And what was the biggest point of where they started hearing about this stuff because in 2015 juul hit the market and not arguing for Jewel, i'm just arguing against this whole idea of falling for this stuff and falling into yeah 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 it's all this person it's all this fault it's all this fault because as soon as you start you know blaming things you're basically confirming yeah all this stuff is true yeah they're kids vape for flavors It was it was you know this other you know it's all these um these uh, disposables now and it's all the people who did cotton candy and gummy bear. That was their fault. Oh yeah. Kids vape for the nicotine. That's all Jules fault. No, (laughs) that none of that is true. And as soon as you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's whose fault it is. You're basically confirming that this is a true story when it's not, it's just not a true story. So the nicotine caps, the thing that really bothers me is that that for one thing, people are okay with, know one person's experience is a a, like like I say here one person's experience is a basis for abandoning other people you know if we go if we go say okay well 20 milligrams was enough for me so we should just do that because I could quit with 20 milligrams or whatnot like I say here if we go there if we say yeah we're just going to arbitrarily decide how much is enough because so many people were able to do it. And I said, if we go there, then there's also an argument for banning all vaping because many more millions of people before vaping ever existed were able to quit cold turkey or with NRT. So then you could say, well, we may as well just ban... I mean, you've heard... Everybody's heard someone who formerly smoked and quit cold turkey or whatever say, well, why do you need to vape? I quit cold turkey. You should be able to do it too. And that just grates with most people. You know, just how can you say that? Well, you're essentially saying that by saying, well, I quit with... 20 milligram or three milligram or whatever. So that should be good enough. And there's no scientific basis for that cutoff. There's just nothing. And and that was the other thing that, that, um, that concerns me. Cause I hear, I here I say, I wonder if those okay with caps would be just okay. If, um, if other vapors who like tobacco flavor said, you know, go ahead and ban all the flavors. I was able to quit with tobacco flavor. Um, and I was and I did say right here, I said, what's particularly scary to me is how many people are perfectly willing to allow their governments to pass laws that aren't evidence based simply because it could be worse. It's not how government's supposed to work. Letting it happen only can only guarantees the worst will come. And that's what we've seen over and over again. In in Minnesota, oh yeah, it's okay. It's just a tax. I'd rather have a tax than them banning flavors. Well, then they start coming after flavors, and then they started giving even more taxes, and then they have tobacco twenty one and all that other kind of stuff. You can't sit there and think that this is not going to get worse. Stop giving. Um, I don't need to share my screen anymore. Um, you know, stop giving them that power. They don't. They don't need to have that power to just arbitrarily say, oh yeah, this is why I'm going, you know, 20 20 is enough. You know, where do they get that number from? I don't remember seeing any studies that said 20 milligrams is enough. It's just some arbitrary number that they just pulled out and it, it makes no sense. So don't support this just because you didn't need, you know, don't support these nicotine caps, A, because you didn't need something that high and don't support these nicotine caps, thinking B, it's going to avoid something worse because it's not. With with and that was something else I said in that thread is that a lot of this comes from people not understanding who they are up against. And it's like goes back to the 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 toad in the or the frog in the water or whatever it was. We don't like calling it slippery slope. We, what, what are we going to call it? I forget what it was, Alex. Um, oh, boiling was that? A,
2: boiling a frog.
1: You like the boiling frog. Okay, you like that analogy. Yeah, so, I mean, you can't, you, you you can't, that's what happens. And we see it over and over again. You cannot trust that they are going to, you're not making a concession, Concession. you're just handing them something. You're giving them their next building block to the wall that they're going to block you in with. You're just handing them another brick is what you're doing. Um, we saw with the indoor smoking bans, we've talked about this on past shows, nicotine caps is just another Example of that because now they're saying okay high nicotine is bad Does anybody bother to ask why why is high nicotine bad? What? There's no explanation for that a a pack of cigarettes has 200 milligrams to 240 milligrams I think of nicotine in a pack of cigarettes a jewel pod has about 42 milligrams at its highest at the 5% so because it's not a full milliliter, so how is this high nicotine so horrible? And if a kid is just gonna sit there and vape the whole thing to get a nicotine buzz, they're probably just gonna puke like if they sat and smoked, down, smoked a whole bunch of cigarettes. I mean, yeah, you have to I, look I, at that.
2: I, I will jump in a little bit here. And, and I think of one of the concerns about uh, really any nicotine content, it doesn't matter that it's 50 milligrams or 20 milligrams or 18, it, it really doesn't matter. But the concern is that because vapor products can be used discreetly by young people, and we've heard reports of this, and kids are talking about this. This is not made up. Um, I think we do have to acknowledge uh, yes, young people are using these products. The problem is that when, you know, if it was just cigarettes, which just to make it perfectly clear, we don't live in that world anymore. But mm. if it was just cigarettes, you have to step away you have to hide you have to go across the street you have to leave school in order to smoke a cigarette you have to take all these extra measures to try to get the smell off of you all of these things it's a real pain in the neck and you can only do it so frequently with vapor products and other smoke-free products the concern is that habituation can happen faster because they can use it more often and it, it again it doesn't really matter. I don't believe what the nicotine strength is. It's that if you can develop that habit discreetly in a short period of time, that's what then leads to habitual use, chronic use, however you want to describe it. I, I don't want to throw addiction in there. Um, maybe maybe we should when we're talking about young people, but um, it, that's, that's the concern. a decent and word to, to use there. You know, there's potential for for dependence. Dependency. So I I think, and I I I think that to some extent we kind of have to agree with that. If we are, you know, you know, our take on this, my take on this was, you know, I didn't start, I didn't start off not right out of the gate smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. It was, you know, a pack of cigarette, or it was a cigarette after school. It was a cigarette or two after school. And as I gained more autonomy. I was able to smoke more frequently. And that's what sort of my my addiction to cigarettes developed over the course of years. Mm-hmm. But now, like I said, because of the discrete nature of these products, that habituation, that dependency can develop much faster. And so I, I don't want to dismiss those concerns because it, it is, you know, this this is relevant and it is, um, it, it, yeah. it, it is legitimate. Um, but again, banning this you know we don't we don't there's there's a world that we used to live in we don't live in that world anymore and so kids are going to find a way to get these products and 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 I don't think the solution is lowering nicotine content or scaring scaring the willies out of kids about these products it's about educating them and and so you know the more that kids understand about how their bodies are reacting to the world around them and and maybe you know it's certainly notes about things you should avoid don't stick your finger in a light socket um, you know these these are very practical tips and 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 good good knowledge to pass on to young people so they can make better decisions. That's not the whole story, but I, nothing that I've just said should go to support a cap on nicotine for everyone. Uh, and and I don't know how you. No, and,
1: it. See, I see I see what you're saying, but then you have to go back to the, the to the point of nicotine outside of cigarettes isn't shown to be all that addictive, and so not only that, but even with your example of how you went with cigarettes and you had to build that up and stuff, you kept going back for a reason that you didn't, you weren't immediately addicted and neither will you be immediately addicted at a 50 milligram. If a kid gets too much nicotine for their body, they're, it's going to make them feel sick. Um, so they're going to keep to a limit of just that that's just the way nicotine works. You don't build that same tolerance as you do with some other things. So you're there, these arguments just seem a little off base. Only because there's a reason these kids are choosing to do the nicotine. Right. There's a reason that they're going back to this nicotine. And so, you, whether or not it's twenty milligram or fifty milligram, even at twenty milligram, they'll just go through more of it. They'll just go through more pods. You know, they've already we've already shown that they've got disposable income.
2: <laughs> I I I, I want to. We didn't we didn't plan this, but you just provided a pretty good segue into my take for this week.
1: <laughs> there you go, go Alex.
2: So I'm good um, not
1: to. So
2: if, if you're if you're finished, I I didn't mean to yeah. interrupt. But, yeah, um, no,
1: I kind of kind of gotten my uh, rant out, my takeout, and then had a little back and forth there, and we're good.
2: Okay. Cool. So it's a it's a it's a perfect opportunity, and we'll take it. Um, so uh, one of the one of the things that made it into our our blog uh, this week was this report from Hawaii that girls are leading Hawaii's teen vaping epidemic. Um, now, note uh, for a little bit of history here, Hawaii was the first state to adopt Tobacco Twenty One back in twenty sixteen. That was when it was enacted. Uh, I, th- I think the bill was passed in twenty fifteen, um, and so I. I didn't get too far into uh, where the rates are in terms of a trend, um, but I think it, it actually either sort of stayed the same, or maybe went down a little bit or, or went up after Tobacco 21 was enacted, uh, as far as youth use is concerned. Uh, and so here they are reporting uh, that according to the Department of Health's 2019 Youth Behavior Risk Survey, 33.9% of female high school students vaped in the past 30 days, compared to 24, 27.4% of males. Uh, the statewide statistic reflects the fact that girls are more actively using e-cigarettes than boys across the state. And one of the things that Kristen pointed out, I think, in, our, in, in the tweet uh, and also uh, just in our conversations was, um, first of all, current use, uh, which is worth reminding people that uh, it means once in the past 30 days. Um, I would not qualify that as more actively using anything. Um, that is once in the past 30 days. Um, and the other thing is that um, uh, boys are smoking at a much higher rate than girls. Uh, and and so, vaping. I'm sorry, and vaping? The daily
1: vaping, boys daily vaped more, Did they vape daily. More than the girls did, so the girls were trying it in the past thirty days more, but the boys were still vaping. But then, and and they were smoking more than the girls. But all that together, also, I did. I think I put that comparison in the Skype chat about how compared to everything else, it wasn't all that bad. There's no.
2: Right. Go ahead, you go. That's Frank. Sorry. Hi, Frank. (laughs) Um, so, so, you know, this, and this is, this is a, a a tried and true tactic of, of folks who are against the tobacco and vaping and everything, um, is that they will pick the most sort of horrifying sounding number. And that past 30 day use, which they brand as current use is always high, uh, and, and always sounds like we're in the midst of an epidemic, um. Without getting into the necessary balancing statements to that number, uh, we do know that the, you know, what we would actually call active or habitual or regular use is is much lower. Uh, And for the most part, uh, the young people who are vaping uh, were, they used to be smoking. Uh, And so, indeed, young people are using vapor products as a form of harm reduction. Um, But uh, the point of of what I wanted to bring up here and, and, and dovetailing off of what Kristen was talking about is that, Uh, Instead of just looking at numbers about prevalence of use, I think it's important to look at what are the underlying factors? What is it that motivates someone to go back to that vapor product or that cigarette or that drug? Uh, And some interesting statistics. I mean, I'm not, you know, again, not a researcher, um, but I, I do, I am always curious about whether or not these things correlate with other numbers. Uh, One of the questions on this survey, which is conducted every two years, so we're looking at the 2019 survey, um, was uh, the question had to do with feeling sad or hopeless every day for two or more weeks, uh, which included stopping doing some activities uh, over the past year. Girls, answered yes to that, 40, 44.1% of girls who participate in the survey answered yes to that, compared to 25.3% of boys. Uh, overall, it's thirty-seven point thirty-four point seven percent which is up from 2017 and 2015, which was 29.5%, uh, and still also up from 2013. So the trend is in the wrong direction. You have a lot of young people 30, 34, 35% uh, who feel sad or hopeless enough to stop doing things. That to me sounds like uh, um, that, that is something that contributes to young people seeking out things that are going to make them feel better. Uh, And so the narrative here isn't that, oh, these evil tobacco and nicotine companies have targeted your children with marketing and this and that. While in some instances, we know that that happened. The more important thing that I think deserves the most immediate attention is what's going on in here with these kids, what's going on in here with these kids and how can we help them? How can we support them? What policies, if, if, if at all are appropriate to Helping kids feel more empowered, uh, have more hope. Um, Is is this an issue of education, as I am fond of saying? Um, So on and so forth. The other number that's really important, uh, I noticed this, uh, I think, a while ago, back when I had seen that the Tobacco 21 policy really hadn't done much uh, in Hawaii, was uh, how many young people live in a home with someone who smokes? Uh, and those numbers uh, have gone in the wrong direction for kids who are qualified or as current smokers. Uh, in 2013, uh, among the middle school kids who were surveyed, 59.8% of them uh, current, current smokers uh, were living in a home with someone who smokes. Uh, and this has gone up. There was no dip in 2015, it was 63.7%. Uh, and in 2017, it's 68.5% of middle schoolers who fall under that past 30-day use, uh, smoking, this is specific to smoking, um, uh, lived in a, a, a home with someone who smokes. Now, this is that thing. This is this is one of the things that is really infuriating to me because this is one of the most significant determinants is whether or not, of whether or not a young person will go on to smoke or use any tobacco product, which is if a parent or both parents or someone that they live with smokes or uses tobacco products. Um, the The numbers are are actually kind of staggering. If, you, if your dad smokes, I think you're something like 88.5 or 89%, uh, you have an 89% chance of going on to smoke as an adult. If your mom smokes, that number goes up to like 92. Um, of course, you know, sex and gender roles and everything is sort of changing now. So I, I'm curious to see how that is is changing as well. But essentially it comes down to parents, loved ones, guardians, uh, someone living in your home that you're close to, not strangers, not some random person on TV or in the movies that was smoking. It's it's people in your family who you consider to be your family have the most influence on the decisions you you make growing up. And so this comes back around, you know again when they throw out all of these numbers it in a way it i i, I think to some extent we can call it misdirection i, I mean th- these are people who put themselves out there as experts as very credible researchers and scientists and and and, and advocates and uh, all of the things uh and if they are glossing over this very obvious uh indicator as to whether or not a young person is going to go on and smoke I can't think of any other word than intentionally misdirecting people. Um, that was a few words. But um, so it, 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 it's there, there are much more significant underlying issues that go into why a young person will choose to use nicotine or any other drug. Uh, and, and we are just not having that conversation right now. This article is one of the worst articles I've read this week. Um, and it is essentially a collection of the standard talking points about how, um, you know, marketing this and that. Oh, the epidemic is horrible. Um, and, you know, I, I've said it many times. I don't like to be dismissive of parents concerns. I don't like to be dismissive of, of school uh, officials and, and teachers and, 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 and doctors and nurses and everybody's concerns who are dealing with young people who are struggling with this issue. But this article isn't doing you any favors. I think the real conversation has to be about the underlying underlying things that lead someone to choose to use a particular product, a drug, etc. And, and I think, you know, I, I I really wish I were smarter and and better credentialed to sit here and go through all of these numbers and, and, uh, you know, actually make this case. But I think I don't think it takes a college degree to note that we are not talking about the most important things here, um, which is the underlying motivating factors for why young people choose to use these products. And that's my take on it. I agree. Yeah. You hot, go ahead, Logan. Hot damn. Yeah, that's a
0: great take, man. Uh, we we never seem to approach things from, like, addressing the underlying issue. We just want to address the behavior that people are doing and not asking why, and particularly young people who are struggling right now. I mean, this is common among just, you know, any kind of drug use particularly with teens, is we gloss over the why and we just go straight to, you know, this behavior is bad, whatever they're doing to cope with or, or you know, escape from, like, we just need to eliminate the thing they're using and that'll solve all the problems. And it doesn't, uh, you know, no. it just leads to, you know, as a teenager, you're like, all right, well, you got rid of that thing that I was using. What else, you know, what else am I going to do now to to address this deal with this? And whether that's,
2: in a healthy way or a possibly potentially really unhealthy way. So, I mean, you know, another thing of this is like, you know, I went through that being, you know, uh, I I got in trouble for experimenting with drugs when I was, you know, 13. And and it's kind of like, I mean, I kind of understand, right? Like if you take away access, then, then there, that's sort of, I think, going to shock a certain number of people into changing their behavior. But what about all the kids that, you know, like you said, find something different to do, something just as or more risky than what they were doing before? Do we now write them off? Like are they the bad kids? It was the good kids that 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 came to Jesus and 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 decided that they were going to, you know, straighten up and fly right. Did, are they the ones that go on to get all the accolades and acknowledgment? Do we just, you know, are the other kids just disposable? I, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah.
1: Kids don't, kids don't try, kids who don't try drugs don't get addicted. So, yeah. you see what I'm, where I'm going yeah. If they don't try the drugs, they don't get addicted. They're only addressing ki- kids, you know, they're getting addicted and they're doing these, you know, there's the drugs. They never say, well, why did they try the drugs? Why did they want these drugs? And kids don't, like we were talking before the show. Kids don't get addicted from the first time they try it. I, like I, I, we were, um, Danielle had me watch all these uh, shows about um, on Netflix, and, and then we were talking again before the, the show about the uh, the opioid issue. Um, what do you want to call it? I don't. I hate to use the word epidemic because that's another one like that, but um, crisis. And how that all started, and blaming the drug companies and everything. And I even said in there, they don't stop and think. It's like, yeah, they were complicit and they were feeding that they were feeding this. But why were all these people and it got even worse during the pandemic, you know, And the these people were seeking out the drugs. And it said and one of the stats that they put up on the screen was um, 10 point some odd million uh, people had misused opioids in that last decade or might have been 20 years. I'm not sure. And 1.6 million, I think it said, uh, were, were now addicted to the opioids. So that's around a 16, 15, 16 percent rate. See what I'm seeing? I'm saying. So that means a whole lot of people had tried and misused these drugs, but didn't become addicted. They may not have gone back to it. They may not have found any kind of relief from it. It didn't do anything for them. You know, there was something that makes people go back to it. I know there are some drugs out there that can hook you pretty darn quick, but quick. I, I thought
0: you were going to say like in one hit and I was going to no, no, very no. quickly <laughs> review that statement. No,
1: no, sure. quickly, no. I know quickly, there's no, yes, no one. But... Yeah, no, because they can. There, there are some that are more they go to your brain faster or whatever, but nothing's going to addict you from the first time you do it. There's something that is in that person that makes them go that did something for me. And that was something that they never they're not addressing with the with the opioid thing they're not addressing with teens who are trying vaping they're not addressing any of that like you're saying that why did they why are these kids choosing to do that something like 86% of the population has tried smoking why are they not all addicted right you know why didn't they all get addicted you know there's something that makes you go back and that's what we have to think about and this whole thing with you know girls I mean it's hard for to be a teen like you know I've I've said it before my daughter cut you know, would I rather have her vaping something or cutting herself? Would I rather have her be suicidal or even smoking? I mean, I think, you know, you got to kind of weigh those things out. And they're they're not looking at that. And like you said, they pick the worst number and say, you know, what did they say? While well, we're out of a life. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's OK. It's OK <laughs> it's if it's booze, though. <laughs> you know, as long as it's booze. You know, it can be booze. That's the only thing that you're allowed to do that with, but not too much. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it, and the, you're like, and you're right. They, they pulled that one number, that 33, they found the highest number they could. Girls in the past 30 days had taken at least one puff. Oh, my God. They're run. They're what, what does the article say? They're they're driving the vaping epidemic in Hawaii or something to that effect. Uh, I oh, you what mean the, the
2: headline? Name. Yeah, the headline. Why, like, girls are leading Hawaii's teen vaping epidemic. I I think it's how, a race.
1: <laughs> no, just that, that that number means anything compared to and it. I think it, I went and looked and it was uh smoking, the overall smoking rate but for both sexes combined with I think was 8.1%, I believe. And daily vaping for girls was six two or six point something and daily vaping for boys was eight point something. So, I mean, which number are you going to look at as the, as the worst thing, but one thing I just really wanted to quick, I got sidetracked by, by the the drug thing. Um, Tobacco 21. I've been making that argument for, I don't know how long that Hawaii passed that sucker back in 2016. And every year since there's been an article saying that they had the highest vaping and smoking <laughs> rates, I mean, 2017, 2018, 2020, every year it's gone up. And nobody looks at this and goes, "Oh yeah, maybe that didn't help anything." You know, it, it's like, ah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think like with anything, with all of this, with you know the blaming of Purdue and dealing with opioids, and you know Jewel being the scapegoat here, and in, in the world of high nicotine closed systems, and the epidemics and things like this is it's just always easier to have a tangible enemy than actually address systemic problems. Mm-hmm. We don't want to tackle those actual problems dealing with real, like, like Alex is talking about our, our youth and mental health issues. And I'm going to talk a little bit about homelessness soon. And those are the issues that we're not actually addressing and we like to have a tangible enemy, whether it's a drug or whether it's a, you know, a company or whatever it may be, instead of actually addressing these problems. Yeah, that's an excellent take. And, uh, that's a,
1: and that's a and that's another perfect example of what, what I was saying before: is stop validating these arguments, stop agreeing with them, because you're just supporting. Every next step that the that the people who want to ban vaping and nicotine and everything, you're just supporting them. It's important for you to read these articles with a critical eye like that. Like I think his name was Robert in in that Twitter thread. He just shared an article that spewed all this baloney about vaping epidemics and stuff, not knowing the truth behind how they twist numbers like Alex just showed by using that highest number and the one that sounds the scariest and ignoring everything else there and that's what they're doing and and so then you're seeing things and you're going like well yeah we can go ahead and you know do this or do that we'll give that up because then maybe it won't be as bad down the road and it's only going to get worse they're just going to use that they're just using that to build upon. Like I said, I've said in the past, if you concede that you shouldn't vape or you don't smoke, you are now admitting that vaping is as bad as smoking. They will use that for the next thing that they want to ban. Stop con-
0: conceding. Con- I think <laughs> is what she said there. Yeah. yeah, Sorry,
1: I got a little box there.
0: So. <laughs> All right. Well, excellent take, right. Alex. Uh, great discussion, and I agree with you. I agree with both of you. All right, here's my take for the week. You guys, I'm going to try to keep this one pretty short and sweet, but this is a really cool thing. I wanted to kind of end the take three this week on some some brighter news or some potentially really cool research. Um, Homeless people are to be given free e-cigarette starter packs as part of a trial designed to help them quit. Um, This is in the UK. Uh, the study will be conducted in 32 centers for the homeless across five regions in the UK, Scotland, Wales. I have some Welsh ancestry, actually, which is pretty cool. So I'm, I'm excited here. Uh, London and uh, southeast and east of England. Um, yeah, I think this is awesome. Uh, full one point seven million dollar research trial to include four hundred and eighty participants, two hundred and forty each group and 15 from each center. This is kind of like a follow-up on a smaller study uh, that they had done previously, and so they're kind of expanding on that, and I think this is really cool. There's some awesome potential here just for harm reduction in general, uh, for what people experiencing homelessness may go through, and I just think this is really cool. I think this is really cool, and I'm really excited about this research, and I'm excited to see how it turns out and how many people they help quit smoking along the way. Experiencing homelessness obviously is different for everybody right like there are people who deal with just sleeping on the street there are people who couch surf there there's a lot of kind of varying degrees of experiencing homelessness and with that comes an array of different challenges and health risks environmental risks financial struggles things along the way eating clean water all of these things but there's a high percentage of people who experience homelessness who also smoke and that's one additional risk that they're they're taking with their health and if there's potential there to start there, help people quit smoking. There's potential there to do more. And I think, there, I think that's a really cool thing. But um, in here, uh, this is the first study of its kind in the world to look at trialing this method. I think this is awesome. And I wanted to highlight, I wanted to kind of piggyback off of this research and pose the idea of what that would look like here. Do you think we're going to do that here? I would, I would hope so. At some point, I think this would be fantastic research to do here. How many Americans are homeless? No one knows. This is an opinion piece uh, from this year uh, from the New York Times. And there's a few key points I wanted to pull out of this article. Again, uh, we don't really know. It's estimated at 568,000 Americans uh, in January of 2019, which is like a snapshot headcount of Of our homeless population. But a really interesting point here, even with that number, that estimate, that same uh, in 2017, uh, the government put the homeless population at 550,996. But that same year, school districts across the country using a broader definition, again, kind of talking about that, those degrees of homelessness reported 1.53 million students. So uh, there's a good guess here that that snapshot of 550,000 Americans experiencing homelessness in even 2017, or estimated now at 568 or whatever, is a pretty low ball. We're It's, it's probably much higher than that. With that, um, this is a study conducted in 2019 uh, that... Talks about up to 80% of the adult homeless population that uses tobacco and and smokes. Um, I forgot where I was going to go with this one. Oh, probably just literally that number, 80% here. That's a lot of people that we could help really quickly if we could implement something where we can give e-cigarettes to homeless people who are smoking. To help them quit, and where that potential can lead to addressing other positive changes in their lives, whether that can lead to programs for housing or whatever the case may be. There, I think that idea is really cool, and I would love to see that here. But I'm really excited to see this research when it's all done. I don't really have a take other than I think this is really awesome, and I would love to see this <laughs> because we have. We have a really big homeless crisis in this country. I,
2: I have I, I have a question, a bit inspired by uh Stone's comment here, and this is something that I've wondered as well. Is um, he himself was ripped a new one by someone claiming that he supported using homeless people as test subjects uh, when supporting posting support for this particular trial? So I, I am curious how do, how how do we how did do, how does someone thread that needle? Yeah. Um,
0: I don't know. I think I think this is one of those cases where you have a disproportionate number of people uh, in this this population in this in this space who are experiencing homelessness who smoke. And there's a lot of potential there to to help those people. So I mean, it's not I would imagine this isn't like a coercive thing. We're like we're not dragging people who smoke off the street and sticking an (laughs) e-cigarette in their mouth. This is voluntary. So I would assume, at least, or there's some compensation along the way, whatever it may be. Yeah, is It's not a coercive thing. It's not a.
2: I, I imagine you know the, the the challenges are are pretty similar, you know, compared to well, just I mean, people are are people. We're experiencing different things, but um, you know, what what do you what what do you need to do to convince anybody to try a, a safer alternative? And uh, and how likely are they to stick with that, given given their, their circumstances, life choices, etc. Um, you know, I know one of the challenges for for people without homes or with, without houses, unhoused people. I don't know the exact way to say this anymore. Was you know how how are they going to charge their devices? Um, I, I I don't know. I don't know how significant that actually ended up being. Um, but all of these things are challenges, and um, I. I, I think, you know, at, at least for my perspective on this, you're talking about an at-risk population. Uh, you can say the same thing for any at-risk population. How how willing are they? Again, this is a matter of choice. Um, how willing are they to adopt safer products? Um, do, do these safer products meet their needs? Um, I think these are all very valuable questions, and it, it doesn't matter whether or not somebody has an address or not. Um, if, if these are folks who can use the help, then by all means, let's let's find a way to give it to them.
0: And it's interesting, like that's one of those few like real positive notes that I've made about disposables. I hate the word, I hate the term disposable. <laughs> uh but for people again experiencing homelessness, if you don't have a place where you can reliably go plug in your device, you. uh and a lot of people a lot of people use um libraries and public spaces and things like that to do those things. But if you don't, there is a product that exists on the market and in my opinion should exist on the market um, for a number of reasons. And that may very well be one is if you don't have a reliable place to charge it, the least you can do is go buy one and use it. And then when you're done, you don't have you just buy another one. I mean, there's a lot of costs there as well. There's a downside to that, definitely. But there is an upside to it as well.
1: Yeah, but that'll eventually, I mean, that'll eventually come down to just from if it's the market's allowed to flourish, you know, <laughs> but I think the term you were looking for besides disposable, I think we decided on single use last time. Oh,
0: single yeah, single use. use. Get the, yeah. Uh, yeah, if we could get the whole industry to adopt that terminology. <laughs> um, there are a lot of problems um, with disposables and recycling yeah. and batteries and safety and things like that.
2: But, but
1: that's the case with. Even the non-disposable ones, too. I mean, if you think about it, um, you hear people talking about finding, you know, what they're doing with empty liquid bottles, you know. Are they throwing them in the trash? Are they rinsing them out and putting nicotine down into the the ecosystem? I mean, you could find problems wherever you look. But isn't isn't another issue with – I mean, I was going to say with one of the reasons I think they could probably do the study in the U.K. a little easier as far as maybe – what popped into my head when you were starting Alex was the ethics thing of can they just do you know it's like a study you know along the lines again what Breeze Tones was saying and I think it helps that in the UK it's vaping seen as a health improvement so they're not giving them something bad here it's almost like oh we're giving them something untested and bad it's got nicotine you know it's 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 a bad thing but over there it's like this is a good thing this is a better thing nobody's questioning that which makes it a lot easier to do this kind of study, but I was going to ask, um, Logan is, I mean, are, is drug use, you kind of have this perception that drug use is very pervasive amongst people who are homeless as well. So, I mean, a, additional,
0: proportionately you know, higher, alcoholism, that's, that's, and that's for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, they're, they're not only fighting the smoking that there's all that, you know, I right, mean, and that's where I'm talking together, like, there's a lot of
0: potential that, for harm reduction here. There's a lot of potential, um, uh, for positive change in people's lives the the one thing that I always question when it comes to studies like this or whatever is that's one point seven million pounds. Could that money have just potentially gone to bettering the lives of that population in other ways and in, in maybe bigger ways, more potential ways? I don't know that's just a question I always have when I see a whole lot of money go to a study and I'm like what else could we have done with all this money Is, are there other are there other potential things that we could have done here that would have been even more beneficial to people experiencing homelessness but regardless i think uh, there's a lot of potential to come out of out of something like this and i think it's worth seeing how how people in how people experiencing homelessness prioritize things. Is smoking something they're interested in giving up mm-hmm. right now? Um, is that at the top of their priority list or I kind
1: of talked about that. That you know th-
0: there's a lot important. of things to consider. But regardless, I think if we can, you know, help people, you know, find positive changes uh, in their lives when when they're dealing with with things like this, I think I think that's a good thing ultimately. Agreed. Yes. It's so, agreed. It's kind of like that's when we talked about a me. couple
1: what we talked about a that was a good one too. Um what we talked about a couple weeks ago about is it important for them to quit?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Important. I mean right now you know, important know, if you're important right now. I have worry no about house. where you're gonna get your next meal, <laughs> you where you're gonna <laughs> sleep tonight, all these things, like yeah is is quitting smoking like right at the top of your list, you know, maybe not maybe it is because it's a a cost thing and you don't have a lot of money right now. And, but quitting is a difficult thing. So if this is a means to help somebody quit and now can save money that they can use for those bigger priority things, how much potential does that have for, for helping, you know, this population? So I just think there's a lot of potential here. I think it's a pretty cool thing and I would love to 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 see something like that here. I would love to see yeah. if how we can help people here too as well or just globally really how can we help people just in general but, but yeah
1: but sometimes you know, just a little thing, sometimes just a little thing of being able to overcome like I mean when I when I was when I switched and I could suddenly breathe better and stuff that kind of did make me want to improve other parts of my life too it did want make me want to lose weight and start getting more you know moving and getting more exercise and things like that so Sometimes just so it can take a little thing to get people kind of, hey, this is one little win I got. Now maybe they'll lead me to get some others. So good take. That's a good take. I'm going to put this up here, too, because.
2: A lot. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> right? <laughs> $130 million. How dollars? A lot. Man. Skip says how, how many.
2: Tiny homes for that. I think there's a guy that made the local news who's building like $2,000 tiny homes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, no, I, mean I, don't, the, I don't
0: know the numbers or what it would really actually take, but I have a feeling that Bloomberg could just end homelessness in this country probably like tomorrow, like just <laughs> with the signing of a check or whatever. But, but yeah, absolutely.
1: And for those listening on the podcast, Skip Murray had said, uh, how many homeless people would have been helped with Bloomberg's anti vaping funding?
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot. Bloomberg, we need to get on anti um, or pro homes campaign or something find something else more positive or positive at all to donate to 160 million dollars to donate to or fund i guess anyways that's my take for the week all right moving moving briskly swiftly along i don't know what word to use here i, tr- I try to use some of alex's fancy words and i always yeah. fail but moving right along uh we are i guess ready are you ready to do a little deep dive yeah all right i'm ready are you guys ready Ready. Okay, okay, we're ready. Deep diving it here this week at Kassah. What is our deep dive this week?
2: So um, I think we've typed out different titles, but the one that I have on the show notes is, does industry have a role in promoting tobacco harm reduction? Um, and for maybe to kind of set the table a little bit, Uh, I pulled up this tweet from Alex Norsha, um, and this is referencing a bit of a controversy, scandal, maybe, I don't know. Um, SRNT, the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco, uh, made an announcement, I think it was this week or or last week. Um, My weeks are running together because of the holiday. (laughs) Um, uh, But they announced that they would be barring tobacco company employees from attending their conferences. Um, and a lot of people immediately reacted to this announcement uh, because the definition of tobacco company employee wasn't necessarily clear to people. And so uh, the initial reaction was uh, there were uh, accusations of censorship. Uh, a lot of people who simply serve in a, as, a con, as consultants to tobacco companies uh, felt that, that maybe they would be excluded. Researchers who... Uh, have accepted uh, payment from tobacco companies to do science, um, uh, all, all of anything, it, you know, the, in, the immediate reaction is anything that tobacco money has touched is going to be banned from this uh, previously open and, and curious type of environment. Um, I have never attended SRNT, not a, not a scientist, not a researcher, and not made of money, so we can't pay to go to these events. Uh, and that certainly would not, especially not now, expect SRNT to uh, grant us access for free. Um, but I think Alex Norsha responsibly followed up on this controversy and posted a, a letter that was sent out, I believe to SRNT members clarifying that um, this was strictly limited to employees of tobacco companies, not consultants, not researchers, um, not you know not kind of third-party folks that, that aren't, don't receive a paycheck from a tobacco company. Um, so I'm not going to go through the entire thread here, but if you do follow Alex Norsha, he did thread out this letter, and I recommend if you're interested in this topic, please uh, read this for SRNT's kind of clarifying statement. Um, ultimately, however, I, I don't think that this really satisfies a lot of people. Um, there are folks who work for, believe it or not, Um, There are folks who work for tobacco companies who are genuinely interested in advancing uh, the smoke-free portfolios of these companies. They have joined these organizations because they come from a background of science or public health themselves. Uh, And although they are employed by these companies, their their curiosity and passion about this issue has not been necessarily affected uh, in a negative direction. They are still open to the research and the data and they want to know um, how they can best serve improving public health. Uh, and, and that is in fact, having spoken to several of these people, why they went to work for tobacco companies in the first place. It wasn't to get rich, it was to change the course of human history and stop all the needless early death and disease. Um, and so it, it really is, I think ultimately it is folly that SRNT has made this decision. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, again, never attended a conference, so I can't imagine my word carries much weight with them. Um, but uh, I think it, it, it really it sort of services this narrative that tobacco companies are evil and that they can, um, you know, manipulate your, your brain without you even knowing it. Um, and we were talking before uh, the show. I don't know. I, I really don't know what kind of benefit SRNT or anybody in the tobacco activism space, anti-tobacco activism space thinks that this is, is I, I don't know why they continue to support this idea that they are so weak. That they just can't be in the same room as people who work for tobacco companies. Um, I, 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 if that is your view, that you are so easily manipulated by people who draw a paycheck from R.J. Reynolds or Altria or any of the other companies, um, I don't know that we can trust you to do science. I, I just, I think that that's that's where I land on that. So. Um, you know, toughen up, buttercup, I, I, you know, the other adults in the room can man, maintain their own opinions without being manipulated by somebody suggesting something counter to the narrative that you've been fed or that you are actively working to promote. Anyway, all of that having been said, it should be no surprise to anyone that for decades now, uh, there, have been a, there has been a concerted effort to keep tobacco industry funded research out of journals. Uh, it, it is, it, and and again, it is, it is all about. Um, we don't want this science, credible or not, to influence people's views. And and of course, the uh, uh, the implication there is that all tobacco company science is fraudulent. This is not true, uh, but I'll get back to that. Um, so I figured, uh, in continuing with the background here, we've sort of set the stage for what's happened recently. Um, but you know, one of the things that we've been, I think, noting uh, regularly now, and since this this comment keeps coming up about tobacco industry-funded science, uh, is that this science is absolutely necessary in order to submit a pre-market tobacco application. I know that you were looking for this. The other day, Kristen, did you kind of come up with sort of a brief, a brief overview of like what is expected in a PMTA?
1: I did. But did I share that link? It, I mean, it was essentially that no, no, I wish you would. Oh, you
2: caught me. Yeah, off guard. I'm sorry. But,
1: but yeah, it was it was essentially that they had to prove that not only is their product not as bad as smoking, but that it's not going to that – it, that it benefits public health and nobody's going to start using it that shouldn't start using it. I mean, just – you have to – somehow they have to prove a negative, which is, like, impossible to do. I don't know how they're doing it, but but I don't think it's – the way it's worded, that's the way it is. But I don't clearly I don't think that's the way the FDA is going to do it. I think it's just they're just going to look to see that it's not worse than smoking or as bad as smoking. But they have to prove it's. it's they have to essentially prove it's safer than smoking. You know, they don't right. get to do, get the modified risk designation by doing that. But that's essentially what they have to do is prove it's safer. That's not adding any risk.
2: Right. So. Appropriate for the protection of public health is is what is that that's the standard, um, which I think several people have tried to define, um, but it's it's not a very it's it's not because there is the, it's in, involves proving a negative, which is is very difficult or near impossible to do, um, and so uh, you don't do that by uh, not. Submitting science, and so one of the reasons why we bring up the PMTA is that there seems to be kind of this misconception out there that FDA is responsible for doing all of this research. Well, FDA only gets I think seven hundred million dollars a year from tobacco companies. Tobacco companies pay the user fees, which is I think it, I think it's seven. I get mixed up because there was that proposal to raise that that limit up a hundred million dollars. Right. Yeah. Um, but around seven hundred million dollars a year for the Center for Tobacco Products. That money is used for various things, of course, staff and 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 launching these ridiculous campaigns. Um, But what all of those staff are charged with doing is reviewing the science. So when you're a tobacco company or a vapor company or whatever, you have to go and pay to do the science related to the the products, specifically to the products that you are submitting an application for. The FDA doesn't do that for you. Uh, There is no council of, you know, super holy people out there who do that for you. Your money doesn't get washed in the blood of Jesus before it goes to fund these studies. (laughs) Tobacco companies directly pay for the science that is required for their pre-market applications. Uh, The only money involved, and I don't even know if this is accurate, uh, in terms of what a company would pay to the FDA would be something along the lines of filing fees. But you, no one is paying FDA to do the science. FDA is there to review the science, ask questions about the science. They're actively working to poke holes in these studies. They write back to manufacturers, they send deficiency letters, and they say, you know, we have questions about this, this study that you, uh, you supplied. Do you have additional studies that can back up this conclusion or something along those lines? It is a conversation between the regulator and the companies. Um, And so that being the case, I'm skipping ahead here. Um, But that being the case, ultimately, the conclusion here is that the research being produced by tobacco companies, research being paid for by tobacco companies is actually some of the highest quality tobacco science out there except you and I might not, well, I mean, the average person, the average nicotine consumer out there might not be aware of that, for one thing, because most of this stuff ends up behind a paywall. And another thing is a lot of journals have a policy barring they will not accept research conducted by tobacco companies. Um, And and this is one of those things that we get into the the whole conflict of interest thing, which is uh, one of the things I do want to promote before I forget about it. Um, is uh, another event that happened uh, this week. Um, this is the uh, tobacco online policy seminar. Um, I'm, I'm expanding the wrong thing here. Um, tops there's so uh, many like
0: great uh, tobacco like in the realm of tobacco um, like shorthand things like yeah back tops <laughs> like,
2: the- yeah. So Stop. anyway, uh, this is something uh, Michael, Mike Pesco, I know is, is, is deeply involved in this. Um, people may remember him from some his, his economist research uh, on vaping and, and tobacco use, uh, University of Georgia. Um, and uh, so this is a sort of a weekly type of, it's all on Zoom, it's free. Um, really the only barrier here is that it happens in the middle of the day during the week. Um, but if you do have time, uh, and you can tune in uh, noon, Eastern. It's about an hour long. Um, they are very informative and they are are taking on um, you know some issues here. Uh, we've got some upcoming events um, uh, july twenty second looking at vaping restrictions in public spaces. Uh, but of course, this week, and why I bring this up is that we had a conversation between Neil Benowitz, uh, UCSF, Joanna Cohen, um the uh i believe she is an assistant editor on the journal tobacco control i think I'm, I'm messing i might be messing that up but um and michael cummings uh and and they were all discussing uh whether or not um industry research uh is acceptable or or you know what are the you know, talking about conflicts of interest and, and and whether or not these these uh studies should be uh, allowed to be published in, in these journals and I, I mean I, I'm in we are in the yes camp uh, and I will echo uh, something that, that Michael Cummings said during this presentation uh, which was you know back in the day it, it you know yes it, the tobacco companies used their own science to obfuscate the risks and, and confuse people um, and and continue to deny the risks uh, and, uh, and and all of that and it was bad but ultimately well, maybe not ultimately, but eventually, what happened was um, it wasn't so much the the studies that people were reading that was a, a detriment to public health decisions. It was the science that they didn't see, uh, and and these these were studies that perhaps uh, or I, maybe someone knows more affirmatively than I do. These were studies that did show that there was a and sort of unreasonable amount of risk. There was actually harm, um, and I it's 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 putting those blinders on it's really putting everyone at risk here and so um, I, I know I didn't really go too deep into the background just yet I so I'll, I'll sort of backtrack before I go on to the next thing because I do think we we owe it to everybody to propose some solutions here um, but a really excellent book that I've, I've shared on the podcast before is this book ashes to ashes and you can see this is a relatively well thumbed copy that I've been using for reference um, but the, you know, back in the day in the 50s, I think 50s into the 60s, uh, there was uh, an organization known as the Tobacco Industry Research Committee. Um, and, and this was basically used to produce, uh, it was sort of a, a science and public relations type of effort. Uh, and it was used to assuage people's fears about smoking because by the time that the 50s rolled around, there actually was a lot of science showing that smoking was responsible for the skyrocketing rates of, of lung cancer uh, and other diseases. And of course, by 1964, the US Surgeon General came out two years after Public Health England, um, or was it the Royal College of Physicians? Yeah. Uh, and, right. and released the, the report on smoking and health uh, and declaring that cigarettes were this uh, you know enormous health hazard. Um, so this, that, that tobacco industry research committee was one of the, that is one example, there, I think there's other um, uh, institutions that tobacco companies had sort of founded for this purpose of producing uh, science to assuage people's fears, while not, of course, reporting the other side, which was all the harm things like the fact that filters on cigarettes didn't actually make them less harmful, um, you know, lowering tar and nicotine, people compensated by inhaling more and inhaling more deep, deeply, um, all of these things. This was science that didn't really come out. So uh, the really important kind of point here, at least on the science aspect of all of this, is that we want and we need to see everything. Jumping back to PMTAs, uh, if you want to read a PMTA submitted by a tobacco company, you're going to have to go through the Freedom of Information Act. And when you get a copy, finally after three, four, six months of of back and forth requesting this document, uh, what you're going to get is going to be heavily redacted. Uh, this is that tightrope that FDA has to walk. There are um, you know there's there's trade secrets in there there's proprietary information there's all kinds of things that the companies are entitled to keep uh, close to the vest um, secret um, and so uh, a lot of that stuff we're not going to see the product specific stuff uh, we, we are just not going to see um, so my pie in the sky solution to offer here is that um, as a consumer i want to see it all i yeah. want all of the tobacco industry research open access available publicly uh that is sort of consistent with all of the you know the tobacco documents that are housed on the the legacy website or you know whatever it is now um it it is about continuing this transparency uh and so that we actually do have all the information in front of us and there there should be no difference between what's produced by a tobacco company and what's produced by for example, UCSF. Um, Science is science, and I expect, I do have this expectation of the people who are making science and making policy that they are themselves smart enough, intelligent enough, diligent enough to review this and give their opinion based on the merits of the science, not who paid for it. Um, So that is just sort of one part of this deep dive which is what role do tobacco companies have in promoting tobacco harm reduction um i've ended up talking the entire time here but in in order to i I think maybe send it around to everyone else first of all we have uh, of course the question of of tobacco industry science the second thing to bring up and and something that we've i think responded to members with their concerns in the past Is just from a purely logistical standpoint, tobacco companies are in the best position to distribute these products quickly and to the people who need to see them the most. Uh, And that means putting these closed system, uh, single use or rechargeable products on the shelves next to cigarettes in the same place, in convenience stores and gas stations and grocery stores and so on. Uh, And and so. That, That's yeah, natural that,
1: real estate. I mean, they have to pay to have their stuff there. Most vape companies don't have the kind of financial backing to be able to buy that real estate. That's yeah, you know,
2: yeah. So that to, I mean, the short answer there is 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 both from a producing science uh, standpoint and from a, a distribution and marketing standpoint, uh, tobacco companies not only can they play a role, they should play a role. Um, so, uh, with that, I, I, I think that those were kind of the things that I, I, I researched or looked at before before coming to the conversation. Um, curious what your thoughts are and, and other points you might add to this? I think it's a, a, a point that
0: um, is echoed often uh, like harm reduction, meeting people where they're at. Like you said, those products are right there next to, the pack of cigarettes that you're heading to the gas station or the convenience store or whatever to go buy, And the more that they're visible by people who smoke and they are attainable, they're there. There's a higher chance that people are going to make that switch or at least try these products. And when it comes to people making the switch to safer products, like that's the goal. Like that should be the goal is, is not um you know whether tobacco companies should like i just think they absolutely should like you said like it's right there if you have the the money the ability the distribution to get safer products into the hands of people who smoke why are we against that why are we fighting that like yeah we've i, I made, agree yeah
1: we've made the point before that's like that's like saying that car manufacturers shouldn't be allowed to make more fuel efficient cars that are better for the environment i mean i could be
0: wrong during the hearings uh you know master settlement agreement and all this when tobacco companies sat in front of congress were they not literally told to make safer products like was that not part of that conversation because i'm pretty sure it was like you guys need to make safer products like that, that was part of that conversation
2: I, yeah, I don't know how you can avoid that. I mean, the you know what uh, the 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 flashy bumper sticker point that that gets thrown around is you know cigarettes are the only consumer product that kill fifty percent of the people who use them when it's used or used as or directed. So yeah, whatever. But that's the, that's the bumper sticker. So well, right you know um, and. So, yeah, I think uh, I, I don't I haven't read the transcripts nor committed it to memory. And I have the same image I think everybody else does, you know, burned in their head of all the tobacco company executives, quote unquote, lying about what yeah. they think the addictive nature of nicotine is. Um, so, yeah, I think. And, and of course, um, you know, when we had this conversation about in, in regards to uh, Connecticut uh, a few weeks ago, uh, you know, with Matt Myers coming out and, and sort of. Uh, dismissing MRTP, the modified risk, as a loophole. <laughs> um, no, it's not a loophole. You were in the room when the language was written. You
0: helped draft this language, right? You, you,
2: Matt Myers is one of the people that helped draft the Tobacco Control Act uh, in whatever capacity, whether he was actually putting pen to paper or just in the room negotiating for what was going into it. And he is actually, you know, I think. He, he has at least expressed some pride in the fact that there may in the future be products that would fall under modified risk or lower risk especially compared to smoking um, so
1: so, is not that his quote that if we had is, a, it? is it wasn't that his, that wasn't wasn't he being quoted that uh, uh, if it didn't have any harm and was popular then we'd have coffee or something yeah. you know that was yeah 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 <laughs> that was him. Now, what popped into, is it, are you guys okay for me to, what popped into yeah, yeah. my head on this one was, um, and I almost, I was kind of between this one for the uh, story or, um, or the one on the, um, why can I not find? Oh, I what are pull you that looking for? Well, I have to, I, uh, I have to pull this. Hold on. I got to pull this screen out separate into a separate window before. To let me share it. Um, the, the, um, there we go. Okay. Um, so that's kind of between this one and the, and, and the Nick caps because this kind of tied into what we were talking about, about this guy who was talking about, um, was this the one that, am I in the right one? The one where he was saying that, uh,
2: yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the, the at the Jewel lawsuit. Is that what you wanted to talk about?
1: Yeah, but he's but he's talking about with ah stop. But what he was talking about in this article was actually it was actually this article about Jewel taking uh academic corruption to a new level because oh, they yeah. bought yeah. all this space in a in a um scholarly journal and how they're going to try to use that. You know, buying this journal, this edition of the journal, that's going to, you know, they're, they're, they're hoping that this is going to sway the FDA. And there's, I mean, clearly he has no clue how any of this works, or he's purposely misleading people because that's, I want to pull up those little old ladies. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works because <laughs> they don't. I mean, they don't, that buying this journal is not going to give it, I mean, this is all the science they probably have to, you know, they're probably using and putting together for, Oh, my gosh. Sorry. All this stuff is popping open uh, for PMT t- ugh, for pre-market approval. You know, they're probably having to do you're probably putting a lot of that out there that they don't have to put out there um, to the public. You know, I mean, they paid an extra sixty five hundred dollars just to make it public. So all of us and all these other um Vape companies can look at the studies that they've put out, they didn't have to do that. So I mean it was just ridiculous that this guy's trying to claim this is Joule, you know, trying to somehow convince the FDA by buying this that they're they're the good guys and stuff. And it's like that's not how any of this works. I don't know where he's getting this from, that he thinks that this is um oh my lord. Well, America. I want
0: transparency from the tobacco industry until we get transparency from the tobacco industry, right. and then we're like, no. We don't
2: want. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, talk... I, I just to maybe uh, a little bit. First of all, I don't think he's like coming up with this on his own. I think this is just part and parcel with, with the, the overall narrative of you just can't trust tobacco or nicotine companies. Um, but the other thing is, uh, as much as I appreciate Jewel making all of this open access uh, and paying, I think the sum total was fifty one thousand dollars to buy this issue of the Journal of Behavior of Health Behavior. The yeah, Journal of American Healthy, something like that. Um, you know, I expect I have not gone through every single study. I imagine they are all positive. Um, and, and, and certainly the, the science, I, I expect that the science is very good. Um, I would much rather see an article, uh, someone uh, replicating the studies or trying to replicate the studies. That's a lot more useful than just someone's opinion about whether or not Joule is, is doing some PR campaign. Um, I think you can, you can probably refer to this as, as PR, but um, it's, it's useful uh, for people who are curious about the products and want to know what the benefits are. Um, but certainly, uh, I do not expect Joule to have published any studies that showed negative consequences about these products, and that's part of the problem. Uh, And so I I appreciate the fact that this is all open access. I appreciate that this is a a move towards transparency, but what about the studies that we haven't seen that we're not going to see? And there is no mechanism to make those studies public uh, unless you can get it published in something like the journal Tobacco Control or, you know, unless these other journals accept these studies. I imagine even if it was something that showed something negative with these products uh, that that according to their policy, it would be a, a rejected outright, uh, and that's not serving the public interest. That's not serving the scientific discourse. Um, but uh, I, I do pretty much agree uh, that this this person's take on this whole thing is absurd. Uh, and the more science that we have, the better. And I applaud Jewel for 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 doing this. Um, although I, I think uh, there is certainly justification and it's not this isn't specific to jewel this is any company any industry i would expect them to not put bright shiny lights around research showing potential harms with associated with the progress sure.
0: right
1: right yeah, yeah. And, and that's what yeah that's what they all do but i mean this this paragraph i mean and then just, but just saying oh this is like showing this it's corrupt there's corruption it's like it, it's an Speaking of bright, shining lights, you can't miss the disclosures. No, I mean, you click the link, he says right there, click the link, and you can see who all these people were and how much they spent and where they worked for. Uh, Where's the corruption? But the the part of this, too, it says, to my eye, there looks to be a little – To be little difference between the corruption of for-profit scientific journals that degrade the quality of available research and the corruption of this particular scenario, where an entire issue of a decades-old scholarly journal goes directly into the hands of a private company, here's the part, that will use it to persuade a federal regulator about the efficacy of its product. Okay, And poor FDA... They're so innocent; they might not be aware of the degree of the pay-to-play relationship in this special. Because you know, FDA is going to look to this for you know, uh, he clueless about the, how the processes of, of pre-marketing all that you know. But it's just, FDA officials might not be aware of the degree of the pay-to-play relationship in this jewel special issue and how that might compromise. The yeah, science. FDA is
0: brand new to how all this works. <laughs> yeah,
1: FDA is so innocent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just this whole thing just just. Ah! Made me wait, wait, let me get hey, Made me crazy. I mean, I just, I, well, I couldn't believe that it was.
2: Fortunately, I don't think a whole lot of people read that blog. So, um,
1: <laughs> no, that's not the blog. That's the American Prospect. The New York Prospect Times
2: that's
1: that's the other one. That's not that tech thing blog. That's American Prospect. That's that's a whole different thing. But anyway. never heard of. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I'm just trying to catch up on this here. Yeah, I I mean, I
0: think ultimately, like, yes, we need all the science that we can get, like why blocking science for any reason just doesn't do us it doesn't do us any good, whether it's good, or it's bad. The research has positives or negatives, whatever it may be. That's the whole point of science to begin with, you know, to test your hypothesis. That's the whole point. We need all the science. We need it available. Uh, FDA is going to do their due diligence and they're not going to be persuaded by jewel publishing some things in a public access journal. Um, And these products, absolutely. When we, we talk about whether or not Incumbent tobacco companies should be playing a role in tobacco harm reduction. Uh, Yeah, when it comes to access and distribution of these products to people who smoke across the country, particularly people in rural areas who are not going to have access to your local mom and pop vape shop to go buy open systems and things like this, where the only thing available to these people are gas stations and convenience stores where they currently buy their cigarettes to get that space. Like Alex said, that takes money. Like, like Kristen said, that's real estate. These are the companies that can afford to do that and absolutely should do that. That I think that's that's my my kind of final take on all of that is yes, yeah. yes, we should absolutely have their science. We need that. We need transparency as much as possible, and we need more science, good quality science. Like Alex said, tobacco company science is high quality. This isn't 1962, 1958 anymore, where we're hiding things and it's whatever. This is, it's good science. We need that. And people need access. As many people as possible need access to these
2: products. I I will add one kind of wrinkle and we've talked about this before in relation to, uh, cannabis. Um, and I, I think I, I can't. We can't get through this conversation without acknowledging, of course, people's skepticism of tobacco companies, rightfully earned skepticism, uh, rightfully earned mistrust. Um, and there is a, a very real, legitimate, verifiable concern. It's not just a concern. It's a reality that only the largest manufacturers will have their products on the market. And you know, the, the thought is, of course, as we talk about smoking and and other drugs uh, as a social justice issue, is it right for tobacco companies to have kind of the first crack at the market, which is what's going to happen? FDA has already publicly stated that the top four or five companies on right. market share are going to have their applications reviewed first. And so there is certainly, undeniably, a benefit of Getting to the market first. Uh, And so it's making it even harder for the smaller independent companies that have been, they have just always been a vapor company. They've always been a smoke free nicotine product organization. Uh, It is more challenging for them to uh, sustain their business. Uh, For a lot of the people that are working at those companies, these are people who used to smoke, people who switched to vaping uh, and, and went to work for a vapor company because they wanted to do some good in the world. Uh, and now all of those people who are sort of in a way, um, do their own form of um, I don't want to say compensation or reparations, but uh, you know, for all of the money that we've all poured into tobacco companies buying cigarettes over the years and and destroying our health, uh, destroying you know communities and and families, and so on, doesn't it make sense for the consumers who were most affected by, uh, smoking and all of the the misinformation around smoking that happened over the course of generations, doesn't it make sense for those people to have the the first or early crack at making back some of those financial losses, some of those personal losses, uh, as opposed to giving it to the larger companies? Um, so I, I I say that to temper the sort of across the board, yes, when we talk about whether or not tobacco companies have a role in THR. Yes, I believe that. Yes, I think that is the way to get this done very quickly. Um, But I think it has to be balanced with making sure the marketplace is open and accessible to the smaller manufacturers who are are facing an incredible financial hurdle. I mean, despite the fact that six, what is it, six and a half million, 6.3 million products are are and there PMTAs for right. 63 million products right now. Um, despite that, you know how many of those companies are going to be able to get to the next phase, and if they do get pre market authorization, how many of them are going to be able to follow through with post market surveillance? How many of them are going to be able to be able to re up that uh, authorization in three or five years, however many? You, again, PMTA is not set in stone; FDA can revoke that. Um, same with MRTP. Uh, so. There are tremendous financial hurdles in front of the independent open system side of the market, uh, and I, I don't think that we can just give that blanket endorsement to tobacco companies uh, leading the charge in the THR revolution um, without acknowledging uh, all of the small and medium manufacturers and retailers out there who actually made the fertile mid the, the soil fertile for these products to be popularized uh, by incumbent tobacco companies.
0: Right. Yeah, because it wasn't, you know, it was like mid-2010s when we started seeing certain, I guess, well, no, it was earlier than that. We started seeing Comet Tobacco companies
2: really move into the space. Kind of. Bacon? No, later. And, and, their, and their products weren't that great. Yeah. I,
1: think. Yeah, I, I don't know, when like Mark
2: 10 and, and, and yeah. whenever, like Logic and all of these other like previously sort of independent companies yeah. were bought out by tobacco companies. Right. Um, yeah. th- that was their Cause, movement. Cause we
1: constantly, Yeah. We constantly were arguing. These aren't tobacco companies. And in the early days, 2009, right. 2010, I want to say it's still, even in 2011, we were still saying, this is not big tobacco, big tobacco doesn't make these products, you know, and then all of a sudden I forget if it was views or logic or somebody came out. We're like, Oh, damn, no, we can't make that argument anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but that's them. That's them. You know, it, they, and, you know there's that there's also that argument, well, how can they sit there and sell cigarettes and then turn around and sell vapor products? You know, um, well, how can a car company sell gas guzzler and turn around and sell an electric car? You know, I mean, we have to give them the option. They're given the opportunity to and I truly believe a lot of them. They want to segue. It, it's never been a good business model to kill off your customers. It's just that's just not a good business model, you know, and so. I do believe it, that they, that they would like to see they want to keep selling their tobacco products, you know, their safer tobacco products and their tobacco s- sourced products, you know, nicotine based. Um and I think I think by not killing off I mean they, they can change their whole image. I mean there's they could, they they would like to be seen like the alcohol or the cannabis industry, you know, where they're not killing off all their customers or just another another recreational product like those things and i think that'd be a smart thing to do you know so we have to give them that opportunity i think and stop get out of this i'm sorry but get out of this black and white mentality of good guy white hat bad guy black hat tobacco companies are all the black hat well we've seen plenty of black hats on the side that's supposed to be the white hats these days don't we you know you can't keep that black and white mentality and they've got the wherewithal it's that hat selling i'm sorry one more thing selling those cigarettes is funding all the other stuff? You know, they're not going to be able to phase it out and develop all these other products and the marketing and all that kind of stuff. Just based, you know, they can't just stop selling those things. Plus, there's a heck of a lot of people who smoke out there would be pretty pissed if they did. You know, <laughs> you know, I, there's I mean, always, there's I always someone to...
0: who's going to pick up that slack too. I mean, if one company was like, "Oh, we're just done," I mean
1: took away it's my you. marble lights. What the hell, you know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah they're not going to all go out of business, it's, you know, stop selling cigarettes at the same time. And that's a big problem. But, uh,
2: a, a couple of things. Um, one, I was just reminded, and I, I'm sorry that I, I don't, um, have a, a, an image to share or, or a link to share at the moment, but there was an announcement earlier this week, um, from Philip Morris international. Um, and it sounds like they are committing to actually phase out their combusted products um, in, in relatively short order, I think by 2035,
1: 25? 25? 2025.
2: And then there was another goal. I think there was like two goals. So 2025, um, I think it's, uh, I want to say like selling a million units or, or a, a poor, a, a much wow. larger portion of their sales will come from smoke-free products. And then by 2035, I think they were looking to phase it out entirely. Um, and of course they, Philip Morris is a publicly traded company, so they're accountable to their shareholders. Uh, And so they are going to have to make that case that they are going to continue bringing shareholder value as they go through this process. It's not impossible, they can do it, but it's something that that companies have to, they have to come to this, they have to uh, structure this, and they have to plan for this on their own. This isn't something that we can legislate because, this is the other point I wanted to bring up, uh, some, something that you were saying, Kristen. You know, why don't we ban cigarettes? Or, or why do these companies continue to sell these products? This becomes an issue of safe supply. If we have cigarettes manufactured on an underground market, well, these are manufacturing facilities in countries that may not have the same kind of regulatory oversight that we have in the United States. Uh, there are safety issues associated with that. These can be fly fly by night operations. Um, I don't know how many cigarettes you can actually produce out of the back of a van, but it's not impossible. Uh, and and so there are questions about the quality of products that are produced on an underground market, and it is in it. Even though both of these products will will have a, a really good chance of ending your life early and making your final years somewhat uh, uh, uncomfortable, uh, uh, understating it there. Um, yeah, by I, a lot. I know. I, I was just struggling for a word. Uh, there. Horrible, absolutely yeah. painful and, and suffering suffering was what I was trying to work into the sentence but it just didn't didn't work um, but you know it, even though both of these products will will do that it's the underground products that will that present more risk and so yeah. why force consumers to buy those products when know more there, risk. there are response there there are um, there are companies out there operating with good manufacturing practices in place I know cigarettes aren't health food but there you can actually make a more dangerous cigarette yeah. and if you push it all on the underground market that's what you're going to get so that's one of the reasons why it is actually in our best interest for Philip Morris Altria and so on to continue manufacturing these products because I don't I don't want the the the, the fly by night operations or the underground folks to come in and, and take that market share I would rather know that FDA inspectors, USDA, or whoever is going to inspect these manufacturing facilities has done that and made sure there aren't things like rat poison or metal shards or whatever ending up in, in cigarettes.
1: And there. it'll phase out. I mean, it's like that conversation, was it two weeks ago with about Ruth? With Ruth Malone, you know, and, and her saying, well, we need to fake why not phase out the most dangerous product? Why don't we phase this out? And we're like, we are phasing it out. It's yeah, being yeah. phased out pretty quickly because consumers are choosing it unless you keep taking it away or keep telling them that this product they're choosing over cigarettes aren't any better. You know, I mean, do you
2: know anybody that still has a rotary phone on their wall?
1: Exactly. Well, yeah, I do, unfortunately. <laughs> I, do. I, don't. I know somebody, I do know somebody, but yeah, exactly consumer demand and it's going to get phased out and that's going to and the tobacco companies are already seeing that and that's why they are they're seeing people just like organic food and health food and and low carb food and low fat food and all that kind of stuff the companies follow the consumer demand and consumers were starting to demand these things more and more until all these public health groups came out and said don't do that you don't want that You know, and essentially just keep smoking or just quit. You know, you can't have anything. You know, it's it's like telling it's so like that. It's like telling somebody don't diet, don't drink Diet Coke, just stay fat, you know, or whatever. (laughs) It's like if that's what's helped somebody keep from drinking sugary soda, that's their vice or whatever you want to call it. It just it makes no sense. It it makes me crazy that they (laughs) they do that.
2: Well, anyway, I, I hope that, I, I hope we've had, you know, a, a informative conversation about what role tobacco companies play, and not just the science, but in promoting tobacco harm reduction. Um, I, I hope people are walking away with this, uh, walking away from this, at least with, with better questions. Um, if we didn't uh, kind of approach everything, I know, you know, we call this segment the deep dive, but um, for for the most part, it's because we spend a lot of time on a single topic, not because we are giving the the comprehensive overview of something. Um, although I aspire to do that someday, um, and I don't want to make this boring like some lecture where you're reading bullet points and copying down long links like people put in slides for some reason. Um, so uh, the whole link right in the slide. And that's exactly. why we try to
1: put your, That's why we try to put your comments up on the screen and stuff too, because we want you to feel part of the conversation. So we'd like to have everybody. Feel free to comment, and we'll try to put it up there. Mike does have a, a, a good question here. It says, uh, I don't get the denial on vaping as a cessation tool. I mean, it is the only reason I was able to quit. What would it take for vaping to be considered a cessation tool? That's it would thing.
2: have to go through the PMA, which is the pre-market uh, application, which is for drugs and devices. Um, so it, it's, it, it is, it's based on our regulations and laws, um, you and I can talk to one another about how these products helped us quit smoking but as soon as a manufacturer or retailer starts making those claims they are crossing into making a therapeutic claim which is where mm-hmm. FDA steps in and says cool show us all the science go through the application process and we'll tell you whether or not, not you can write this as smoking cessation therapy uh, and this is that is exactly what led to um, the uh smoking everywhere enjoy versus fda case back in 2000 2009 2010 um, you
1: can find more information about that on our uh historical timeline on our website
2: excellent plug yes <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the other most useful things about our website is that historical timeline so yeah there's there's a lot of history there um definitely dig into that uh, and that'll provide you some more detail
1: yeah i mean it, it's, that's essentially why we became Tobacco, because all these products would be immediately illegal to sell and banned if they were declared unapproved drugs, and as an only you can only call yourself a cessation product or therapy is if you've been approved by the FDA as a cessation therapy drug. As soon as you say therapy, now you're making drug claims. Now you're making therapeutic claims. Now you're making a claim that that you're curing or treating something, and. Um, That's why we said – that's why the the industry said, oh, we're not – you know, we're we're an alternative. We're not trying to cure smoking. We're giving them something else as a different source, a different social source. And that's – because if we were trying to say we're curing, even though we are, I mean, because you're not smoking. (laughs) But it also, you know, in their their mind, a cessation drug, you're supposed to wean off of that eventually and be nicotine-free. It's treating nicotine addiction, you know. So um, that's why we're not – That's not where I think absolutely we will eventually have this weird time that we're going to have vaping products that are are social nicotine, recreational nicotine, and we're going to have vaping products that are cessation tools because somebody will eventually, I think, submit for an act to be an actual therapy. I can see it happening.
2: For, for kind of a less loaded or less uh, um, hot-button kind of example of, of what we've been describing here, um, General Mills, the makers of Cheerios, actually ran into this. Uh, if you remember, Good. Cheerios used to say things in their marketing statements about how you can lower your cholesterol. I think they heart healthy, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think the heart healthy designation is something that I don't know if the American Heart Association gives that out. Um, just
1: give us enough money but, and we'll
2: yeah. give you a uh, yeah. Whatever it was, I and I don't even know I, I assume that there was some research that went along with this showing that if you ate you know a bowl of Cheerios for 30 days, you could lower your cholesterol by you know X number of points. No, no research a, okay, so no research, whatever. <laughs> no,
1: there's no fact that was your there
2: was even if there was research, that and that gave FDA the auth the, the that it is their mandate I'm to scared. step in and say, if you're going to make that therapeutic claim, you're going to have to get Cheerios through the drug and device pathway. Yeah, yeah. There
1: was, there was, wasn't there a honey or a, I can't remember if it was honey or apple cider vinegar or some weird thing prunes I think prunes ran into no cranberry juice cranberry okay. juice ran into the same thing because people tend to use it for urinary tract infections mm-hmm. and I don't know if they had something on their website or something and they went after them and said you have to prove that and I think there was something with honey but yeah they've gone after a few different food uh companies for making therapeutic claims that it prevent it or treat it or whatever. And, and yeah, so that's why, that's one of the reasons why Kassa exists was because the companies couldn't make those claims, but consumers can. So that's why we make those claims all the time. It helps you quit. It's yeah, absolutely. And yes, if you're not smoking anymore, you quit. doesn't matter if you're still using nicotine, you know, that's why we're here. That's, that was one of the whole reasons that, that Casa exists. That answer your question, Mike? (laughs) I don't know. He, he I wonder how many community. companies in
0: the CBD space have ran into this.
1: What's
0: that? So I wonder how CBD. many companies in the CBD space have ran into this with with FDA and and things like that. It's not a question we need to answer today. It's just a yeah vocal I, curiosity, I guess. Because one of the first things that comes to my mind is there's a lot of therapeutic claims, uh, true, untrue, real, not real about CBD, yeah. and where like FDA steps into that regarding.
2: I think it
1: falls under supplements.
2: I, I have seen a, a change. There was a, a Vermont uh, pet store company that was saying things about, you know, give your dog these CBD treats to calm them down. I think I think some in the industry have, have gotten nasty grams about even claims about, you know, using this for your pets. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that there's a lot of science behind giving these treats to your dogs. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think there, there was a kind of I don't know if it was just saber rattling or an actual crackdown. It was like two or three years ago. Um, and so I think at least the folks in the CBD industry, maybe are a little bit more conscious of it. I just don't know what uh, kind of, yeah, uh, it was just,
0: just a curiosity that, that comes to mind when we start making, you know, therapeutic claims is just first thing I went to was, was CBD. Cause there's just a lot of them. <laughs> I see them still today regularly. Uh, and I'm just curious, I guess. Just yeah. curious. Okay. Anyways.
1: I have to say something. Wait, Matthew Welsh says, uh, this is back where we're talking about the cereal and the hard <laughs> thing. And he says, yeah, because we can dump milk on anything and make it healthy. Greetings from 1970. Ironically, it's the exact opposite. The milk was the unhealthiest part of it, unless it was like 1% and there was no fat. It was the uh, fiber and the um, you know, whole grains and uh, the, lack, the lack of fat. Fiber and lack of fat. That's because that's what it all started. There's still on the whole thing, you know. Fat's bad for you, and, and uh, even though, go ask your great great grandma how she used to lose weight and stuff, and she'd say cut out the carbs. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, okay. Well, so, yeah. before you-
2: before we veer into keto chat, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm no, sorry, I no, had to no say. Um, but it's just kind of. But that's a perfect example of how of how research gets so skewed, you know, and, and somebody just throws out, you know, posits this and, and, and then they know how to pay the right people. Same thing with, again, those, those uh, documentaries on the opioid thing and how having the right friend in Congress can make a huge thing, you know, a huge change in how public health policy, not just things like smoking and drinking and drugs and it, food, you know, those are all things that are very imprecise Sciences, you know, diet. Same thing with smoking. A lot of times, it's that reporting. It's that uh, self-reported, linear point of time. I can't think of what the term is. When do they're just snapshot in time here? And then what are you doing here? Let's not know anything that's going on in between those two moments. You know, here you're eating you hear you were smoking six packs a day and here you quit smoking you know or whatever and they don't, they don't know what was going on in between that time period because you're you're doing oh help me out with this term it's a kind of study observational you know is that the word i'm looking for where
2: sectional cross sectional yeah cross
1: sectional thank you oh that was making me crazy yeah cross
2: sectional versus longitudinal
1: yeah, you're not following you all the way through and seeing, and so it, anything to do with the human body, so imprecise with when it comes to things where the the big factor, the the the, the unknown is people. <laughs> people lie. People, you know, cheat. People have feel guilty and they don't want to say. They leave things out. You know. So yeah, it's 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 a very. I got into the whole like keto diet thing and saw so many parallels to, to, um, vaping and stuff. So it's the same science and stuff like that agendas. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating to read those studies and, and see how they skew things. Like you were talking about the percentages with the, uh, Hawaiian girls driving the epidemic.
0: <laughs> the word that shall not be spoken the
1: word that shall not we, we should ban that word
0: <laughs> all right well uh i guess on that note on the note of banning words we're not going to ban words at least i hope not okay, um so but i hope uh, i hope everybody uh who stuck around uh or to anybody who's watching the replay thank you for joining us today i think we're i think we're pretty much done on our deep dive
1: uh, I-
0: I think we we'll we'll off run. The we'll ride ride. Ride. So thank you to everybody for tuning in today. Uh, really quick, podcast listeners. Um, so I was bad last week. I didn't put out a legislative rundown. I just posted the whole thing or the week before. I'm gonna get it up. I just forgot to. I posted the longhand one and was like, oh. Uh, That's it, I guess. Okay, I'm going to get that one up. And this week as well, uh, there'll be a shorthand legislative rundown version for you to tune into, as well as this whole episode. So whether you're watching one or the other and you're curious about listening to the rest or just getting the shorthand version, it's available to everybody. Um, And again, thank you to everybody who tuned in today. If you have not yet already, head over to cassa.org, sign up, become a member, join. It is absolutely free. And if you also have not yet submitted your testimonies, please do share your story. It is really important. I know Alex hates it, but the plural of anecdote is data. I'm just going to say <laughs> it again, just because it sounds great. Uh, and they mean something. They are valid. Your stories are valid and they are important to share. So please do that. Uh, any final thoughts uh, for everybody out there today? Kristen, any final thoughts?
1: Um, nothing I can think of. I just had, we've talked so much today. Um, hey, All of us are on Twitter, so if you're, you know, it's great if you are also following Kassah at at Kassah Media. I am at Noel underscore Marsh. Alex is
2: at Hello
0: underscore Alex,
1: and Logan is
0: at logan underscore exhales i think we all we all have an underscore underscore that
1: yeah so yeah there you go so follow all of us on twitter that'd be great um we often have really interesting side conversations and things like that that don't make it to the uh official casa account um so i'd love to have you guys follow follow us and and danielle's on there she's uh, that's a Tricky one, but I follow her, so you can look at. What Didn't I she know. change
0: it? Didn't she change it? Oh, I think like,
1: she did change it. It's, I think is it's Danielle
0: like? thr or something like that. Yeah, right, I, yeah. I think like that's a what it is. Ducky. I could be really wrong. It used to be Rubber Ducky. You're the one spelled yeah. all sorts of different ways with yeah. like numbers and stuff. Yeah, uh, she's but on I believe there. she changed it.
1: Jim McDonald, he's on there. Um, Jim and, is at
0: Y Cherry Y. Y Cherry Y. No. Uh,
1: Julie is just Julie.
2: I, I think is she just Julie IA or is that her?
1: Uh, is it I? Is that I'll her
2: tell you guys, right form now.
0: I'll tell you what Julie's is. Carry on though, if you have uh, any others. Julie. Uh, Matt, who's what's Matt? Matt
2: Cully. Is yeah. It, uh, is it just Matt, Matt Cully? Oh, he, SMM. SMM. That is he still at suckmymod? And it's just no. I believe he's changed I think he's changed
1: his too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I believe he's changed all that. So uh, let's see.
1: Yeah, he is at Matt from SMM. That's what I have him for. Cool. As. But uh And yeah,
0: Julie so. is just Julie underscore
2: M O. Oh, yeah, she changed it.
1: Yeah. Oh, she did change. Oh yeah, well, she keeps moving.
2: She's not an Iowa <laughs> anymore.
1: <laughs> so yeah. So my whole thing is follow us on Twitter if you can. Um I'm also on Facebook. If you don't mind seeing like pictures of my dog and
0: just so you know, you know who, if you follow if me on you Twitter. Know who did I created for dinner. <laughs> yeah.
1: But that yeah. So, hope everybody has a good week.
0: All right. Any final thoughts uh, for everybody out there today, Alex?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, every week we try to come up with a, an interesting topic for the deep dive, um, and uh, you know, like I said with with our our discussion today, I, I hope I covered at least a lot of the the bases and a lot of questions that people might have, but. Um, like the, like the regulators we ask you to send messages to, we can't think of all the questions. <laughs> so if there is something specific you'd like us to, to maybe look a little deeper into uh, and discuss on the podcast, please, uh, I, 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 I don't check the comments, but I'll leave that to Logan and Kristen um, uh, it, under the video after it's posted. Leave, leave a message in the comments. You can send us a message via Twitter um, and uh, email. You can send an email to board at Cassaw Ah, uh, with questions or, or or topics you'd like us to to maybe pay a m- bit more attention to, um, and uh, yeah, that'll help us out a lot. Because at some point, I think we're gonna run out of things to talk about. Um, no,
1: think for yourself, i so never I'll run you, uh, to talk about. It's
2: just, it's a fear. I I'm afraid of that. <laughs> I'll just I'll I'll bare my soul for the world to to hear. I'm afraid that I'm gonna run out of things. You know to talk some
1: auntie's gonna do something stupid within the couple of days before we have the show. We'll always have plenty of stuff.
0: <laughs> there's there's definitely a lot to talk about. As somebody who's been doing either video or podcast, kind of in harm reduction and tobacco harm reduction space. You are gonna have moments where you're like, I don't know what to talk about this week. What are we gonna do? <laughs> and do those are the moments the where those comments and those emails and those messages really, really come in handy, because you guys might have a question about something that the three of us and, and Danielle's uh, kind of in our little podcast media group as well, aren't going to come up with um, or think about or think to come up with. Or maybe it's something we haven't talked about in a long time. And maybe there's been some changes. Maybe we've seen some science some new things that come out and we can kind of update something on. Uh, that's where those messages and things really come in handy. Um, and and we can have those discussions here. So It's definitely useful. If you guys have stuff, there's no like stupid question or topic either. If you're like, Oh, they've talked about this before. or Oh, maybe this isn't relevant. Just send it anyway. If you have questions, we're happy to address them here on the show. Uh, and yes, definitely comments, messages, Twitter all over the place. Definitely. For sure.
1: We will eventually get some guests on this show. I'm yes.
0: We're working on that. We're working. This is (laughs) you guys. It's my fault. It's supposed to be my responsibility to get guests on the show. And I'm (laughs) <laughs> i just I never haven't done it tired yet of we're gonna do it soon now, every i week. Promise. um <laughs> we're definitely gonna either have uh somebody else with the three of us or perhaps um we'll just do kind of one-on-one uh shows with a guest something like that either way we're gonna get that sorted out and we're definitely gonna be bringing some really incredible guests on the show soon um i'm getting there we'll get there uh anyways I just hope everybody has a, has a great weekend. I hope everybody out there is staying safe. Um, and I hope that you all uh, join. Kassar. Do it. Join Casa. It's awesome. It's a great place. Do it. Okay. Anyways, that's where we're going to wrap this week up. Everybody. Uh, thank you guys. One last time for joining us today. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Stay safe. And we will uh, catch you next time. Say, Oh, Ooh, Lashfield. Same place. 430 Eastern, 130 Pacific. You got to figure it out everywhere else in between here. YouTube, Instagram and on Facebook. That's it. We'll see you next week.